Room, your safe haven for gaming news and discussion. My name's Kevin. My name's Daniel. And today we got a special guest for episode 91. I think I think I heard him actually. Sterling, are you there, buddy? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Just floating in space. Just floating. Welcome in the aboard, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. Uh, if audience, if you don't know, Sterling Silver, he writes for Big Ol' Twinfinite. Uh, is that a dot net or a dot com, uh, Sterling? I think it's I think it's dot net. I think it's a dot net. It should yeah. be dot uk maybe. Ooh, dot co dot uk. I, l- no. I love your name. It sounds like a like an ultimate weapon or thing you would find in a Final Fantasy game. That's uh, that's why I chose it. That's why you chose it. Man, how how do I sound and look even more like a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well we appreciate you being here, man. Uh, we I had we had you on an episode before a thousand years ago. Uh, we ended up, we sat down and me and Sterling recorded no less than 12 hours of content of which I could only, <laughs> only get through like 90 minutes of, but, uh, this is a more standard, uh, episode as this is episode, uh, 91, 91. Wow. So we appreciate you being here and talking through some stuff about Sterling. I want to know how are you mm-hmm. doing throughout all of this? I'm going a little crazy. You know, I've mm-hmm. been inside since like march 15th or something like that march 15th does that track we yeah uh... yeah it's it's been eight weeks at this point i stopped keeping track of time are they opening stuff back up where you guys are or what's the deal so we're in king county washington near seattle we got hit Mm -hmm. pretty much the hardest we have Mm -hmm. uh some of the most i think i read about 6300 reports of infection so because like the population density is really tight in the city so like Mm -hmm. the point of contact Mm -hmm. for the infection is really really high but i think the the city in terms of like the mayor and like government ordinances have really been tight on like staying inside making sure you're not going to beaches or doing dumb shit i know like new york and florida and you know michigan like they're probably gonna hit get hit worse in like a second wave right um but mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that and they're addicted to the high fives out there in the east coast oh yeah they can't they get enough of it they can't stop high-fiving each other it's crazy it's like 1994 uh, <laughs> so, but, uh i feel like the vibe here is so different because my city and i checked like two weeks ago we have three cases that's it three confirmed oh, wow. like it's like a ghost town hmm. like wow. nobody's doing anything yeah absolutely crazy. if you go outside at night like it, it's dead quiet like you could hear a pin drop like nothing is going on and but on monday they're opening stuff back up but it's like it's limited things hmm. like it, it's not things aren't just going back to normal like it's it's just like hey start getting ready because it might life yeah. might kind of go back to normal like certain essential places and things that are open for like you know drive through to go services. Um, let me ask you, since I know how great Canada's healthcare is, have you guys come up with a cure yet? <laughs> I was reading yesterday that like the UK did or something, or they're testing. I don't know. There's so much information, right? I'm looking for a cura. Yeah. Cast it on on all of America if you could, uh, please, with your stellar healthcare. Yeah, once it's there, I'll equip it like a materia. <laughs> exactly, man. Get that, Do you guys uh, think we're going to get hit with a worse second wave? Or That's a good question. I think um, the one thing about this whole like reopening the U.S. thing that's going on is like, okay, so my job, basically they sent out an email saying, hey, if you can work from home, please do so, or you're welcome to do so, all the way until October 2nd. And then we'll reevaluate. Damn. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And I told that to a friend, and they're like, wait, why? And then I stopped, and I went, and was, well, there's no vaccine. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. obvious. The virus didn't go away. <laughs> like it's still yeah. here, man. So I, I think um, if we, 
if we stop practicing the distancing, like right now, right here, we're going to see a kind of a remission occur like throughout the summer and past the summer, especially as like, you know, there's big events. The worst thing that could happen, and we'll get into this later in the episode, the worst thing that could happen is that one of these fucking events says, hey, we're, we're still going to be, we're still going to run like packs, basically. Yeah. And then you see that just spread everywhere, like it being a new kind of ground zero point. Because it just takes one person to be sick, right? <laughs> I see a lot of people saying like, oh, the world's going to be a different place after this. Do you, do you agree or what do you think? Oh, yeah. This is going to be like Neo Midgar. We're going to have like, it, it's there's going to be a new normal. Standards are going to change. I know a lot of businesses are probably going to flex to probably a new all-in work-from-home model. Cut out overheads. Like, you know, we've already proved for two months that we can operate at somewhat more efficient levels at times um mm-hmm. it's just like do we want to keep paying rent do we want to keep having that same corporate model I, and I, you're gonna see that that digital format online farm format really pivot here um because mm-hmm. of necessity and because well businesses can do it now yeah i, I think it's an interesting point because like my own job one of the teams was uh, was running some metrics and they said hey oddly enough since this all began in like you know early march our team has been more productive now that they are 100 percent work from home mm-hmm. and like daniel said companies are going to wake up and go oh it doesn't make sense to make somebody commute for two hours mm-hmm. by, you know by bus or by what have you get to work when they're already tired try to work and then also commute at the end of the day it's like it, having that cut out of my life has actually reduced my stress despite mm-hmm. the fact that we're living through a pandemic you know it's like we can consistently mm-hmm. uh work on the podcast i can i consistently stream i consistently work like it it just kind of makes sense the only thing is that you know you get fucking cooped up mm-hmm. i'm sure is your feeling right <laughs> i wonder what that's like too is like i wonder how employee morale is doing when it's like uh when it comes to doing their actual job but then i wonder what their morale is like when it comes to socializing within their job space right because like Mm -hmm. you get to talk to people and you get to make friends at work but now they're just sitting at home right yeah we're all slacking each other mm -hmm. we're all skyping and all that you know and and there's definitely Mm -hmm. a communication breakdown like i've seen a lot of people get very testy because they don't have that face-to-face face-to-face interaction to just say this mm-hmm. is what i mean and the other person go oh okay I, I didn't understand from like your fucking email or something you know <laughs> that that's a really tough thing to adapt with and i've seen people become testier mm-hmm. than usual but then the other flip side to that is you have a lot of people that are at home with their kids and their families and they're still expected to do their full-time job when they're also being like a full-time parent. And so your stress level skyrockets at that point. So it's... it's I couldn't like, imagine being a parent right, right now. Right? That's It's crazy, man. I mean, have I you seen... I would yeet my kid through a window. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear it, man. Uh, but have you... I mean, how have you uh, been feeling like mm-hmm. when it comes to like your working space and all that? Is it much difference? Because as a writer, it's like, well, you write from home as is, right? I had like a full-time job on top of it, so... Oh, shit. I, I was working 11 to 7.30 every day, and that was like... I hated my job. Like, every day I was just thinking, like, I just want to be at home writing right now. Like, I want to be working on my career. Like, like we said before the call, like, now I'm just, now I have the time, and but I'm still slacking off. Like, I'm still playing too many video games and stuff. <laughs> I mean, technically, but, that feeds into one of your jobs, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you still well, doing both from home right now, or is it just the writing gig? No, just the writing. Okay. I completely got laid off. But I am, I am getting a lot, a lot more done than I did back when I was working and things were normal. Got, you got it completely was, laid off? I'm sorry to hear that, dude. No, it's okay. So 
You guys have like the stimulus check or something? Oh, the UBI. Is that what it's called? Yeah, something was... like that. Yeah, I bought a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, which is five hundred bucks a week, and you could sign up about a month ago. And everyone I know has gotten the money except me. I don't know what is going on, and you can't call anyone because all the lines are busy. And I call like at least a couple times a day and I get nowhere. And I like, it's really frustrating. I haven't, I haven't made any money in like a, besides the stuff I got from writing. Like that's it. Ugh, that's tough. And a lot of people are being, you know, kind of, kind of the backs against the wall in the same situation. Like out here in Seattle, a bunch of businesses just straight up closed. All the restaurants mm-hmm. closed, laid off everybody. They said like, Hey, go file for unemployment right now. You know, it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's nuts. Right. And to to your earlier questions, like, Hey, are things going to get back to normal? It's like, well, no there mm-hmm. we've said it before on this show too there's gonna be a new normal and we're gonna acclimate to whatever that is and i think we need to yeah. we figure that out and get get you know smartest people in the room to figure out how do we get forward even if it's not perfect we need to figure out things right now rather than just sitting out and saying well it'll clear out by next summer you know, that's not gonna work right we need to actually work through solutions as is because you know there's plenty of people at home going like what the f- fuck do i do like for for in the u.s for instance like oh you gave me 1200 bucks that's cool my rent's 2000 yeah especially out here like that's not enough to really cover anything i I have a lot of friends who were laid off friends in the service industry i feel fortunate enough to like still have a job like i count every day as like very fortunate to to still have that um but for the people who aren't or who are stressed about like you know stimulus packages coming in like i just feel so terrible and i wish that there was something more expedient that could happen you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i think there that new normal is gonna look weird i don't think like even though i said all businesses might like shift to this model you still have certain industries that function better in person right like game development i think studios like your teams cross-functional teams work better in person sometimes you get in each Mm -hmm. other's ways about certain things but like something like that is that is so collaborative you want to have people in a room in a building feeding that creativity and moving it forward whereas some of that might Mm -hmm. get stifled at home communication can only move so fast over slack right right and especially it's like you know people have different schedules like i work with international teams so if i send out an email to like you know um a team in india they won't see it until i'm going to bed you know Mm -hmm. uh so Mm -hmm. you have like those delays in communication stuff that may be like a little easier to work through if you have like hey there's a there's an office we can talk to people people can fly in and fly out it's crazy uh, it's going to change a lot of stuff, and, we, and we're seeing some consequences here and there from work from home. In fact, our first news item is about a consequence of information not being as locked down <laughs> as it could be in the previous day, oh, right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's good times, man. But, <laughs> uh, we got to do some preamble, man. Uh, the kids at home may not know who the save room is, even though we are the only podcast on the internet, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. At least on .NET. <laughs> We brought up all the traffic. Yeah, we all the traffic was soaked up by the save room. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> uh, you can find us on SoundCloud.com slash The Safe Room Show or Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and RSS feeds across the universe. Great movie. Across the universe? Yeah, I like that movie a lot. Is that the Beatles movie? That's the Beatles movie with uh, Rachel Evan Wood and um, the other guy. Uh, Sterling, what's the rating on uh, Across the Universe on on your camp? Uh, Because I'm about to say something negative. You guys are so fucking old, man. (laughs) That movie came out the summer after I graduated high school. Dude, I I went with a girl to see that movie in theaters. It's a good date movie. Holding hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting a little sweaty. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day. Who just turned 30 again? Oh, let's not this talk one, about This one, this one to the Kevin, Kevin just turned 30. <laughs> I, just, I just turned 30. <laughs> 
I'm I'm a big boy. I play Final oh, Fantasies, <laughs> <laughs> and I wear jorts. Fuck. I am wearing jorts right Hold now. Hold on, real so quick. Can I get your your jort pulse? Yeah, um, your jort pulse. I think they're a sin. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Listen. I am at my most powerful when my calves are exposed and are absorbing oxygen. You know? I got that platinum in Final Fantasy VII because of my jorts power. My jorts strength, sir. I hate... Can I, I leave this? You're, <laughs> exit Zoom call. Uh, Daniel's if left there isn't there. a jort materia in the next game, I don't want to play. Exactly. Nomura. We need some jorts and trip pants all <laughs> up in the sequel. Alright, well, let's shift. Let's kind of get into the warm-up here. Um, Sterling, real quick, like, what are some things you're doing otherwise? What are you playing in quarantine? What are, what are some things that's been keeping you uplifted and positive? Uh, I mean, I think Final Fantasy VII is my favorite new game ever. Ooh, okay. My my previous was Final Fantasy 13, which I know a lot of people hate. It's a great game. But... You made a 13? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they're up to like 120 now. Oh shit, son. Some of them are on the Nokia. Some of them are on the Nokia. <laughs> on the end game. <laughs> yeah, so but... I I think I agree, dude. I agree. It's it's we've been driving pretty hard on that game. What's what's been high level? What's been working for you on that, right? Oh boy. Uh I think just the progression system, like the multiple progression systems, right? Because you have the materia, you have weapons, then you just have regular regular leveling. How plot focused it is compared to Final Fantasy Fifteen. How detailed the combat is, like how exciting it is. Let me ask you, as somebody who is a huge Thirteen fan, do you think they evolve some of the systems from there in this one in a really cool and modern way, like i.e. the stagger system or just some of the things you do in terms of like party synergy? Yeah, because. 13 feels like it relies too heavily on the stagger system like it feels like that's all you're trying to do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you can't really damage enemies until you do that yeah but in seven like staggering is definitely very helpful but you can definitely beat enemies without doing it even bosses true and in 13 all you're trying to do is exploit their weaknesses where in seven they're like each character plays so differently right like in 13 by the end like all your characters can know all the same magic and stuff like that (laughs) but each character in seven like has like eight to ten moves they all know Mm -hmm. themselves and no one else can use it like i remember starting the game and on my first playthrough, I hated playing as Aerith because I thought I thought like she was just so useless, like she was just a healer and like do good magic damage, but she was slow and her ranged attacks were too slow. But then once I played on hard and like using all her abilities, I was like, man, I was not playing this game right the first time. Also, I feel like too in in the second run, you have all these abilities and weapons that are leveled, and you know these abilities that become then like mapped to your characters and you have leveled materials and then you get kind of wise to like swapping in between them between characters you're like okay i don't like my previous Aerith build but now i've got a rhythm for her now she works the way i need her to so it it is very unique and cool in that fashion yeah it's oh i just love it i hope we don't have to wait like five more years for the next one but i don't want the next one to be like a 10-hour game yeah yeah yeah, because, okay, so those are comments that apparently, what was it, it was like an art book for Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. Remake, where Nomura was talking about how, when it comes to how the game will be split, he knows a lot of people would probably prefer a trilogy, but he thinks that um, if they could they could get out these games faster if they were shorter, is his preference, and I don't necessarily need shorter, like, interim games in order to, like, you know, again, I... I want more of this game. I love what they did. I want more right away. 
but I'm willing to wait like two, even three years to get something that's another 40 hour Odyssey that I inevitably spend 113 hours mm-hmm. because I'm doing 100% of everything, right? Which was such a gratifying mm-hmm. experience, especially in this COVID world where it's like, I got nothing else going on. Let me just go real fucking hard on a Final Fantasy, uh, which has been a lot of fun. But I, I don't know. I, I would be a little disappointed if it was just kind of like, oh, here's um 15 more hours of the game. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that because, okay, maybe like Sony and maybe some other people would push, uh, Square rather, I should say, would push to kind of get more out faster, sooner to keep the generation of money happening. Because I'm sure this game costs a lot of time and money, uh, yeah. all parties involved. But I don't think Nomura has it in him to put together a game that is any less than 30 hours. You know, like he's, <laughs> he's such a visionary. I do believe we're going to get at least three or four of these that are all very individual, complete packages unto themselves. Yeah. If they did smaller episodes, because like, what they'd be focusing on, right, is like getting more of the game out so that the story continues, right? But if they're doing smaller episodes, then the progression and the RPG elements wouldn't be as good because like how do you make like each character feel like they're growing in a significant way when it comes to like we were talking about the materia and the weapons and the mm-hmm. abilities? You can only cram so much in there, right? In ten hours plus the story yeah. when it comes to cutscenes because Final Fantasy is so cutscene heavy. Yeah, this game is like 50% cutscenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fucking Kojima style <laughs> coming in here with these cutscenes. Because, like, I, you know, when I was doing the my hard speed run, I was skipping through cutscenes and I was like, oh, really? That chapter is honestly only like an hour of gameplay. <laughs> and then other yeah. chapters will be this fucking Odyssey. <laughs> and I think that's something they're going to have to do with some of the, the later installments, like, have areas that you go to that maybe serve as like an hour to two hour chapter with no mission stuff in between, no open worldy stuff. Like, you know, going to the Calm or Mithril Mines, having to be very like, okay, linear and focused. Kind of treat it like you would like 13 or some of the later installments and just kind mm-hmm. of get us in, but then have that open world sprawl because I don't think you can keep doing the same function of, okay, well, what's your end game content? Oh, it's just hard again just playing through chapter select again mm-hmm. and like once that open world is there you need to feed it and service it um they, they have some challenges ahead of them i think in terms of how to keep this game going um but i think they'll find a way to make it happen i'm really worried they're gonna tweak the battle system like they did with the 13 sequels because mm. god the, the battle system is so good in seven what would you say of the 13 installments the which battle system is the best for you because i haven't played too much of two and i never played lightning returns so i don't know what that's like Oh, in terms of 13? Yeah. I just like the first game. Okay. I, I, yeah. Lightning Returns was, was really strange. It was a strange combat system. And I didn't like it because you only played as, as Lightning. Like, it was kind of... One-dimensional. Yeah, it was very watered-down RPG and then action elements. Like, very, very watered-down. Mm, yeah, I would say the standout thing that works for me the most in Part 7 Remake is the combat. I think it's such an eloquent kind of kind of mix of tactical versus real-time combat and i know that 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 was their design goal to Mm -hmm. make that make sense so if they were to like tinker with it in a way that just like breaks that it would be pretty upsetting the only thing i will say that i i would encourage them to to maybe rethink is how the summons work because the summons Mm -hmm. feel very tertiary in mm-hmm. this game as opposed to being like big old weaponized events it's more like i need a buddy <laughs> and they show up on, on the <laughs> battlefield and it's like I, I i get it you use your atb to like you know use some of their skills but i almost wish that the summons had their maybe their own atb or maybe something crazy like i control a summon myself <laughs> would be actually yeah, really rather cool. than just being like okay here's two attacks that i have to dole out yeah yeah so that that, that might be kind of mm-hmm. neat to, to mess with but otherwise it's still i i think that 
as close to perfect <laughs> as you can get for this mix of combat, honestly. Yeah. I wish 15 had this. 15 would be infinitely more playable mm-hmm. if the combat was anything like this. You can't even switch characters in 15, which is like a fucking sin. Why did you give me a party of four that I can't play as anyone else? Why? You can Why? now with the updates, but like, I'm <gasps> oh. not going back to that game to play again. Just, <laughs> oh, I'll go back. Just so yeah. I can switch characters. Oh, no, Sterling, I'll go back. I'll let you know. I'll let you know what's out there. Yeah, we're going to go back there for the cut content and all the extra stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. Last time time I talked to you guys, and we talked so much about it, and I was so critical of the game, I was like, man, maybe I'm just being an asshole. Like, (laughs) I'm going to go back and really try it. And I hated it even more. (laughs) Even though I could change characters, I was like, no, I just, this is, it's like biting in the pie and nothing being in the middle. (laughs) It's like that invisible pie, invisible pie that I showed you, Daniel. It's like a chocobo hair pie. There was a, oh, that's worse. <laughs> wow, that needs to be scrubbed. I went there. I'm sorry. Oh, he did. Oh, talking about chocobo. I, I think for us, like we we hail Final Fantasy 15. It's not a great game, but it just hit for us at the right time. Um, it, it, and I, I like a lot of its like heart and and sentiment. The things you do within it, while it doesn't always feel like a Final Fantasy game, you're doing very Final Fantasy things within it. I like them rough, goofy games, you know? Like, mm. there, there's brilliance to be had underneath it, but it is not consistent. That is the truth mm. of that. Whereas Final Fantasy VII Remake, utterly consistent in my mind. Mm. A few weird blemishes here and there. But overall, it's like, those don't detract from the fact that I think it's one of the most phenomenal mm. <laughs> uh, installments in the series. And one of the best action games I've ever played. Yeah. Which is strange to say about something that came from a JRPG. I think they had probably a challenge here, because thirteen right, was kind of a mixed bag of reviews in terms of response um i love it hate it some days um but i if it ever came out again if they remastered it i'd platinum it finally um and then 15 felt like a direct response to that okay like we had a linear game that was kind of open world we're here we're gonna flip it here's an open world game with kind of linear chapters and then seven remake also feels like a direct response to both of them and it's just like okay they married mm-hmm. it all and made it work had a solid vision for it and um i i don't think they um Fucked up at all with it. Yeah, Sterling, <laughs> let me ask you. Would you like to see, like, uh, the further installments of Part 7 go a little more open, or no? I've never played the original, but the original does, doesn't it? Like, doesn't it become more open? Yeah, like, literally, like, six hours into it, you get to crawl into the open world and do really? stuff. And there's still, like, you know, linear-type story beats where you go to cities and you do things and you meet characters. But, like, for the most part, the open world is, like, the connected tissue in between. Oh. You can just mm-hmm. kind of... And then you get an airship and you get to upgrade chocobos. So, like, I'm interested to see how that is modernized in this Whoa. in this uh, game, too. Oh, so. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, yeah. we'll get back to that. But I, I, got, I got to pause this, boys. I'm so, I'm so sorry. We got... The gamers, they need the gamer news. They they want to hear about, about games that pertain... To news or reverse that? Reverse that seems right. Mm-hmm. News pertaining to games. We, so we got to come back after, though. I got, I got so much to say. I'm I know. Sorry. I, I feel it. Bo- both of you is like, <laughs> it's like turning a valve and yeah. just like Final Fantasy opinions I just bleeding out of you. <laughs> I love Enthusiasts and I've actually never really gotten to talk to you about these games at all. So this is kind of cool. So That's we'll, true. We'll have a Final Fantasy happy got, hour after. And then got, I got a fun game mm-hmm. for you after as well. So. Yeah, we got two big Finn fans. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, why don't you quickly run me through... Um, the first disappointment in, yeah. the, in our lives. So we got two quick hits here before we get to the big news. They're both kind of, you know, disappointments, as, as Kevin said. Uh, the first one on here, the free PS Plus games for May have been announced. And gamers are mad. Well, gamers are always mad, but this is this is why it's here. Default, yeah. uh, coming to PS4 this month are City Skylines and Farming Simulator 19. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Now, Sterling, how did those what's games What's there to be to mad you? about? <laughs> <laughs> to, I don't understand. Farming yeah, Simulator. 
Yeah, man. I mean, God. they're just they're just trying to prepare the gamers for the future where agriculture takes over again because yeah. every other industry just <laughs> evaporates overnight. We're all going to have to be farmers when the world's end. Listen, I'm not mad about like sim games. I used to love playing sim games like SimCity, Roller Coaster Tycoon, The Sims even. But having two of them in one, you know, bundle is like it's overdoing it. It's like having two sports games, you know. I mean, what's wrong with two sports games? What if one of them was like um, NBA Playgrounds mm-hmm. and the other one... I can't name another sport game. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh shit. I mean, they're free games. You can't mm-hmm. get mad at free games. I know people like to get mad about anything. They obviously don't interest me. Mm-hmm. The thing that's upsetting about this especially is that there was a supposed quote unquote leak of what was supposed to come out this month on PSN and it was a combination of Dying Light, mm-hmm. which is amazing. That's an amazing game. And... What was the other one? Dark Souls Remastered. Dark Souls Remastered. Not a bad duo. And then they come out with this. We go like, hey, by the way, it's a duo, but not the one you thought. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Some fine. people were mad about it, too, because they're like, I just bought this game two months ago, and now it's free. What, Farming Simulator? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? I've seen that in the comments. That's got to be a You know, very, amongst the Last of Us spoilers. That's such a particular <laughs> set of people that yeah. are getting <laughs> upset about Well, so I think what the thing is, like, it's the, the value proposition, right? Like, you know, every month, like, we're like, okay, we pay for this service, and it's like, we want games that we actually, you know, want. I think over time, people have seen it kind of degrade. But I think I've seen Sony here and there, too, like, release stuff in between. Like, they just... April, they um, released... Uncharted 4 for free. And then after that, they're like, here's a free two weeks where you can actually get the original Uncharted collection again. Nathan Drake's collection. Right. One, two, three. So, like, they do stuff in between to kind of, you know, give back in ways. Well, the, the big difference there is you don't need PlayStation you don't. Plus to get the, that, that Uncharted collection. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is when you stop having PlayStation Plus, you lose access to your farming simulator and all the rest of them. That's what I was going to say was that... I mean, obviously people have a right to complain, but I feel like we've gotten a lot lately. Like mm-hmm. you said, with, with Uncharted and, and we got Journey 2 for free. Oh, I forgot about that, and yeah. Maybe, may, who knows, like maybe that's what they'll do is they'll give away two more games this month and it'll be uh, Dying Light and, and Dark Souls Remastered, but who knows, right? They are garbage games, but at the same time, like, <laughs> we all got big backlogs, man. Okay? That's true. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I might I might just add to my library that farming mm-hmm. simulator because I have like a morbid curiosity. I've never played it. I don't know <laughs> what to expect. Uh, that might be a fun stream yeah. <laughs> at some point, right? Well, uh, let me ask you real quick. What do you think Sony kind of needs to do going forward into like, you know, the talent of this gen and next gen to kind of kind of sweeten the pot of PS Plus, especially if they're going to make it necessary. Sweeten that honey pot. As a subscription service. And you say honey pot. Honey pot, little honey pot. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, things like PS Now are not nearly as prospective as like... Um, what is the Xbox one that they have? The uh, Xbox Game, Game Pass? Xbox Game Pass. Or yeah, Games of Gold. Games Gold. Oh, Sorry, Games right, of Gold right. is the yeah, one yeah. and so, Game Pass is the other. Like, to have these value prospects for the players, like, do you think they need to evolve that for PS5 or maybe, you know, Snowball and VR games or just kind of make it better? It's hard, right? Because they're at such a lead this generation and they haven't been doing that, right? But mm-hmm. it, it really depends on what Xbox is going to do, which we're going to find out in a couple of days because they have that conference. But I do think they do need to go harder with ps now because like i i barely hear it ever spoken about right like Mm, yeah maybe like once in a blue moon it'll be like oh this game is coming to ps now but like with xbox it's like it's like every week they're like this game is on xbox game pass this game like oh this this old 360 game is coming like stuff like that i think what xbox needs to do is what playstation is doing and just focus on their exclusives right yeah it's like they can learn from each other there it, yeah, literally, exactly. They could just they could just learn from each other, do what they're 
each other are doing better. Yeah, because I, I have a craving for like a little... Like, again, I, I get good value out of PS Plus. It's not the free games for me. It's actually a lot of the discounts that come through. Because mm. um, mm-hmm. they might do a flash sale where it's like, oh, this game's 10 bucks, but if you got PlayStation Plus, it's like, oh, it's seven ninety nine. Oh, fuck yeah. You know, and that and that's pretty much where I get most of the bang for my buck there. But uh, I, I think it would be way more exciting to have something that's like Xbox Game Pass on PlayStation where they say, hey, here's a big game. That is, like, day and date available on the service if you have it. Yeah, you know? that'd be crazy. That would be crazy. Because I remember, what, like, Outer Worlds was a day and date mm-hmm. uh, Xbox Game Pass game, which was fucking insane. I think Gears of War 5 was as well. Yeah, Gears of War 5? Like, to have a company willing to just be like, mm-hmm. this one's technically free if you just come into our subscription ecosystem. It, it's a smart play, and it, it, it's a big value. I think, Sterling, you touched on it before. It's like... Sony has led this generation and hasn't done those things. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure the conversation uh, internally is, why do we have to? Yeah, I think they're so old school with it too, where they can still keep in justification of like, let's keep on our, you know, Death Strandings, our God of War 2s, you know, our yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn 2s, and still hail those as like event exclusive moments. You think it's going to be called Zero Dawn? Probably. I, I don't think it's going to be called Horizon Zero Dawn. Just Zero Dawn. Zero Dawn is the subtitle. I yeah, swear to God, yeah. it's the subtitle. <laughs> Horizon New Dawn. It'd be, yeah, it, what, fuck. Fucking Dawn of the Dead. I don't know. Horizon <laughs> Horizon still dawning and yawning. <laughs> like, I don't know. But like, Horizon uh, God of War Persona 6. There you go. Yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> it's every exclusive. But like, they, they are of that like old school mentality where they feel like they still need to kind of package their exclusives and not just give them away for free on a subscription. Maybe they'll give you, like, a game that was exclusive two years ago. Maybe we'll see Spider-Man for free, or, you know. If you talk to anyone, everyone is like, how does how does Game Pass make money? And everyone's like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't understand how the, the model makes money. Like, how do you make money on $10 a month compared to someone giving you $60 for a game, mm-hmm. especially when that $10 a month per person has to be spread out to all the games this person is playing? Because the way, what I've heard, from how it works is like, mm-hmm. oh, if somebody's dedicating like 100% of the time to God of War, then the money that they're giving developers after they take their own cut, that go- that will go to them. So I, I just don't... That's <laughs> so what I've heard. by their model. <laughs> yeah. Because Microsoft still has to make money from it, right? They're buying the rights to all these games. Right. Mm. That's true. Because they have to make a deal with these publishers to say, hey, this is going to be free for mm. a month. Yeah. And Same then, with Sony and, you know, PS Plus. And then what's the uptake for the publisher, right? If somebody's, like, let's say Obsidian, um, they're saying, like, well, what's the uptake for us that uh, Outer Worlds is free for an entire month? That's revenue, like, lost on Xbox for us, right? So, like, what do you do? You have to pay the money, like, yeah. up front to make that happen. It's almost like Obsidian didn't have a choice because they were recently acquired, too. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> Dad's mad. <laughs> Dad want game free on Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> we got to do it. They've got to be paying the difference being like, listen, we're going to pay for the rights to for you to put this game on Game Pass and the money you're going to lose, we're going to pay, but we're going to make it back up from the Game Pass subscriptions. Like, that's the only way I could see it making like money. I don't I don't get it. I, that's I don't that's why I feel like then. PlayStation doesn't go hard in the PS now. Because <laughs> maybe they're just like, Xbox is just being fucking crazy. Like, maybe that's the answer. They're like, they're just being also, fucking crazy with the revenue. <laughs> PS Now only has older games, right? Like they have, yeah. I remember they put on Persona 5, but like per- Persona 5 is now three years old, right? It's only mm-hmm. making so much money now. Yeah, that's very true. 
Like, it's always like, oh, that's an exciting game fucking three years ago. Right? I mean, if they put P5 Royale, that'd be a whole other story. But Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that uh, that's insane. making money because it just came out and the sales are high. But with Xbox, they're putting games that are coming out day one. It's fucking on... madness. I know. Exactly. It's, I don't get do it. It's because Phil Spencer's doing all that coke and just kind of like shucking out ideas left and right. People can't say no to Phil. <laughs> not, flip a desk at you. Not when he's got those bloodshot eyes. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, uh, there's another another bit on here that we have in the quick hits. Are yeah. you sure you want to mention this? This is something that I saw today. Let me let you handle this one because I think you're better versed in it. All right. So apparently, fucking uh, Twitch's darling Doctor Disrespect has decided to um, spread some coronavirus misinformation on his stream, reading articles that have been highly debated <laughs> by the scientific community about uh, us reopening like very quickly and freeing America. And he, he even supported Elon Musk's, uh, stupid open up America tweets and all that shit. And it's just like, he has such a large platform. So people's concern is just like, well, you're emboldening people <laughs> to be unsafe right now at like the worst possible time. Why you wigged moron? Why are you doing this? <laughs> and it, it just, it just cracked me up. Cause one of the articles, I think it was on, um, Polygon was like, you know, I'm beginning to think that Dr. Disrespect is not an actual medical professional. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where did he study? <laughs> yeah, let, let's see that doctorate. What, what I don't get is that, yeah, it's you could argue that like being forced to stay home infringes on whatever freedom you think you have. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're forcing things to open, then you're infringing on people's right to stay home and their freedom <laughs> to not die. And also yeah, yeah, just you, to, say, to stay safe in yeah. general. If you want everything to reopen, but then people are like servers and 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 shop owners and all these people who don't want to do their job because they're scared to death of literally dying yeah you're is... you're making them go back to work or or lose their job or whatever. It, it makes no sense like these people i i just feel like they have such a backwards view on what freedom is it's just not important right now just stay home right i i, I think it's amazing to me that of all the things that you could uh, politicize it's a virus. A virus does not care about your politics. It will take you. It will infect you. That's 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 our issue right now. It's not an issue about freedom or not. It's about what can we do to stop this spread from harming people. And then hearing that other argument of like, oh, well, you know, not everybody's going to get uh, infected or what have you. And I'm like, so you're saying this major loss of life. Uh, by the way, fact check, 65,000 people have died in the U.S. alone. You, you think that's an acceptable loss? Like a... I'm more leaning on the side that no loss is acceptable and whatever we can do to stop it, we should do. Mm-hmm. Including what? not tuning in to twitch.tv slash Dr. Well, he's dressed up like a character from like Deus Ex Machina and reading like articles from the hill. Come on, dude. <laughs> right. What What I don't get is like people, people are like, oh, the government just wants us to stay home. It's like, why? They're losing money. The economy is like tanking. Like mm-hmm. this, they're doling out money, especially here. Like they're giving money to everyone who's lost their jobs, to students, to small and medium businesses. Like, why would they want things to stay closed? Mm-hmm. They're just doling out all their money. Like it, it makes no sense. Like people just can't think. It's it's mind boggling. Yeah, I don't think a lot of these businesses really want to be giving companies bailouts and you know loans and doing what they are like you know extending policies or get doing rebates but like they have to and to rush the situation any quicker makes it worse and puts them in a predicament even down the line where it's like well fuck now we're even more in debt because we've been helping out these companies and mm-hmm. people for 
a year at this point. Uh, I like I, I do see the sound argument that people do want things to return to normal. Maybe it's anxiety inducing, right? Like this whole thing is kind of scary and it puts you in a weird mindset. Things like what's going on in Michigan right now, storming fucking like local government buildings and demanding that, you know, things get reopened. Again, it's not that the government doesn't want it to. It's just like it's not safe to. So just kind of let that be for now, you know? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. I'm not, a, gov- I'm not a government you? official. I'm not a doctor like Dr. Disrespect, and I just don't have these answers. You're not a doctor? Dude, but <laughs> <No>. you stream. <laughs> I've seen you stream before. I thought only doctors stream. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, let's get to the main event, my friend. Uh, I, I wrote out a little bit of this, but this will be pretty short. But I, w- I wanted to talk about this because this is like kind of a heartbreaking thing that has like a lot of um, components to it. And I never thought we would be talking about a leak like this. But yeah, so number one on here is that The Last of Us Part 2 was leaked online uh, in late April. So late last month, huge portions of The Last of Us Part 2 were leaked online, including the ending. The leak has made it uh, next to impossible to avoid spoilers on social media, especially on Naughty Dog and Sony's official accounts. Uh, full disclosure, I've been totally spoiled because of that very thing where you just pop open the mentions and bing, bang, boom, spoilers. We will, of course, not dissect these uh, spoilers on this episode. I think it's a little fucked up. But uh, Naughty Dog posted a message on their Twitter stating, quote, It's disappointing to see the release and sharing of pre-release footage from development. Do your best to avoid spoilers, and we ask that you don't spoil it for others. That's a little bit late on that one. The Last of Us Part 2 will be in your hands soon. No matter what you see and hear, the final experience will be worth it. End quote. Now, the game was originally set to release on May 29th. The Last of Us Part 2 was uh, delayed indefinitely, however, due to logistical problems related to COVID-19. Uh, right around the game's leak, Sony announced the sequel will release June 19th. The leaker was rumored to be a disgruntled Naughty Dog employee getting back at the developer over a payment dispute. Sony says this wasn't the case, with a representative telling Polygon, quote, SIE has identified the primary individuals responsible for the unauthorized release of The Last of Us 2 assets. They are not affiliated with Naughty Dog or SIE. We are unable to comment further because the information is subject to an ongoing investigation, end quote. They're going to sue the fuck out of these people. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get sued saying. so hard. Sterling, how do you feel about this shit? Because th- there's a lot of nuance to, to, to this, but yeah, just, just to have them come out and be like, well, it wasn't anybody affiliated with us, which could actually still mean it was a contractor, by the way. That's true, yeah, because yeah. they're technically not a rightful employee of Naughty Dog or Sony. Right. They Because they, like, how do they have access otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Was it a contractor? Like, it was just someone who worked on the game? No, no, no. So there's no confirmation about who these individuals were, but uh, oh, okay. I, I've seen online it was pointed out going, well, technically they could say that a contractor is not uh, affiliated with Naughty Dog or SIE, and that's how like, um. it got out. Because it is confusing where it's like, well, how did how did a general member of the public have access yeah. to uh, in-development assets, by the way? Not even like, it wasn't even like a printed copy of the disc or a mm-hmm. digital copy. It was like they had mm-hmm. a dev version <laughs> maybe it got a little dangerous when naughty dog went work from home to finish up the game you know maybe somebody got access to it hacked something you know, like that like yeah. one of their you know, workers or devs or whatever um maybe it happened that way but like it's just that's so much to be able to have access to it yeah it almost like that, points to somebody that was internal <laughs> i i heard someone mention that them being like well it, it because things are work from home now that's probably what happened but then i think it was somebody that worked in game development was like there's no way they'd let people have builds of the game like that. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're so obsessed with being tight lipped that there's Mm -hmm. no way they would let things like that happen. So I don't know. It it doesn't make any sense. Like it it has to be somebody that had some access to the game or worked on it in some capacity. Yeah. That, that, that would be my suspicion. Everyone kind of 
jumped onto that notion that it was an employee that did this because of an article that came out earlier this year from Jason Schreier, uh, kind of a deep dive talking about the culture of crunch at Naughty Dog and how the first delay that The Last of Us Part Two saw did not improve things and in fact made crunch way worse on that team, which we found out to be not veterans from the last few games or even the first Last of Us, but actually a lot of new people are on that project because so many people left after mm-hmm. Uncharted 4 which had a ridiculous crunch cycle from uh, what the report said. Yeah, so. they've been working projects back-to-back, and, like, people are getting burnt out, Yep, you know? <laughs> I gotta wonder where the disconnect comes, right? Because, like, you hear and see these game directors all the time, and they seem like great people, so it's like there's no way they're just going up to their employees and being like, listen, you're pulling 15 hours today. Like, <laughs> it just right. has to be done. Right, like, right, right. It, it's got to be pressure from somebody else, like executives or or investors or something. Like, it, there's no way these people are just like, nah. Who needs to see their family, right? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know how and, they say it takes a village to raise a kid. I think um, yeah. it's a it's a lot of the same thing for video game development. It takes an entire village of people to construct this. So. You know, while as an audience, we know Neil Druckmann to be like the face of Naughty Dog in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. In actuality, there's so many different uh, managers and supervisors that are on staff. Any one of them could be the guy that's just kind of passive aggressively suggesting that if you dip out at 6 p.m., uh, you're not going to get hired back on for the next game or some mm-hmm. shit like that. That's how crunch culture like develops in small pockets. It's more about mm-hmm. like the impact in total rather than like Neil Druckmann is this gigantic asshole telling everybody that you need to hand yourself to a desk or else you know i don't think it's necessarily that right or it could be like an evolution of what happened at um uh with the hauser brothers with red dead 2 where like they just saw like upper management working late nights and they thought they had to too like Mm. that same like kind of contagious passionate like okay well i guess we'll work a 10-hour day because our bosses are doing it and we do want this to get done eventually but i guess when you're pushing dates to like crunch becomes then inevitable like to hit your deadlines and fiscal quarters i never get like angry reading comments about stuff like like on any kind of article but but this topic is the one thing because there's always people in these comment sections being like oh if they love their job like they're working in video games like why don't they just shut the hell up and and do it like it's like man there's like literal studies done that if you work past like 10 11 hours a day it's the same as like going to work drunk like it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard the same. I've heard the same about that, too. It's like the m- more work doesn't necessarily mean more productivity. I think another good allegory is that you can ask three people to have a baby, but it still takes nine months to make a baby. <laughs> you yeah. know, mm-hmm. like it's not going to change that fact. Uh, game development is hard. It takes time. And, you know, strapping people to their desk is not the answer. Well, to, to kind of pull it back to the original topic of conversation here, um, getting it leaked, what does that necessarily accomplish? Like, if you were a disgruntled employee, what do you have to really gain from that? Like, you're really just hurting people that you worked with and the, the end product, something you still worked on, right? So it, to kind of weaponize a leak is just, it's fucked up, and I don't really know what it accomplishes for anybody. And then you see the effect that it has on, you know, the fans and, and Naughty Dog as a whole. And it, it's also pretty awful to see people leech onto like the one instance of the leak and you know not doing what neil says and not sharing it but actually just spreading it like wildfire spoiling the game on purpose for people getting off to it and i that i don't understand either. i've i've had to block <laughs> so many accounts on twitter alone like this last week because like I'll, I'll just be scrolling through a thread that has nothing to do with the last of us and boom there's a spoiler there's a screenshot there's a video and i'm like what the it's fuck? like it's like the star wars when when the first star wars and everyone was like yo han solo dies and you're just mm. like Oh, spoilers, I was just like, 
(laughs) (laughs) It's like you were like in a completely different, you know, chat that had nothing to do with Star Wars and someone is just like, oh, by the way, you know, it makes no sense. I was in a, like a Nintendo thread reading about like, I don't know, Grand Blue or like some JRPG and somebody like dropped it in there and I I just saw the word The Last of Us. I didn't see any like contextual spoilers, but I'm like, why? This is not even pertaining to anything. Why would you do this? Yeah, like why do people get off on that? Yeah. Like why the weaponizing spoilers? Why is that like such a fun thing to uh, potentially ruin other people's enjoyment of a thing? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, in an ideal world, if fans saw that somebody was leaking spoilers, we would just like excise that, like immediately, be like, "Hey, you're banned. We reported you. You're done. We don't want to see this. Fuck this." But instead, the opposite happened. People have spread it like a wildfire, and I'm like, "Well, why did all of you do this?" Mm-hmm. And or I like personally DMing people too, like the story with like what was it, Brian Altano? Yes, where somebody dumped a, a major spoiler in his lap just by like DMing him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "What the hell?" Which was pretty fucked up. I've heard from, I I think it was people from IGN that were like, man, people get really creative with how they spoil stuff. Like somebody was like, oh, somebody sent me a whole email. And then on like the second to last line was like, like spoiled, like a super major game. Like you, that's the whole point of the email, right? Like you could tell that's why they did it. They wrote out like three paragraphs just so they can say in the end, like, oh, this is what happens. And you're just like, what the fuck, man? I haven't seen anything i haven't read into it what happened was the end of the game got spoiled right the like the ending of the story is that what happened the ending of the game major plot elements throughout the game surprises that naughty dog wasn't actually even revealing Mm -hmm. until the release of the game actual Um, videos were posted straight up full-on videos dude not like yeah it's crazy you can't make up i thought it was just the ending and i was gonna say like nothing would make me more upset as like a writer game director than somebody taking the ending out of complete context and then just being like yo look at this shit (laughs) what is this yeah. It fucks me up too because a lot of the the Sony haters and naysayers already are people who just like want to hate just to hate. They're like, well, good. I'm glad it was spoiled because that's a shit ending or like the mm-hmm. inclusion of like I guess there is a, a trans character in the game and they're like, good. I'm glad it got spoiled. I'm glad this hurt is hurting Naughty Dog because they're nothing but like SJW cucks and they're ruining gaming and mm-hmm. like all the stuff and just being really inflammatory about it. And it's just like if it wasn't for you in the first place, you don't even need to like don't need to buy it don't need to pay attention to it you don't need to just ruin it for other people and just the whole mindset of well good i'm glad it was spoiled because i could save 60 bucks now you're taking a spoiler out of context this is a 20 Mm -hmm. to 30 hour game it's been revealed there's so much in between so much that gets these points that is going to probably be really meaningful and resounding for people yeah imagine wanting to pick up a game for the gameplay right isn't that a concept (laughs) it's like i i (laughs) i am not dissuaded from getting this fucking game i Mm -hmm. still want it i still trust naughty dog as a team and uh their vision for what part two is supposed to be and having these spoilers while yes it's disappointing doesn't ruin the fact that i am completely fascinated how we get there that's the journey that i want to go on because that's what the goddamn game is about but it's still fucked up i mean we did see kind of a there's an interesting i guess response to all this too i i don't know if it was related i speculated initially that it was that like there wasn't a release date than there was for it right um i i don't think this leak really pushed their hand at all i think they just kind of needed to get the game out maybe logistically they finally figured out a way to do it Yeah, no, I don't think they said here's a release date because of spoilers, because if that were the case, it would be releasing sooner than June 19th, Mm -hmm. uh, technically, right? It it was weird that it happened almost on like the same day Mm -hmm. that we got the... Actually, it was the 26th that the leak happened, the 27th they announced the release date. Mm -hmm. It seems coincidental, Mm -hmm. but, you know. And not only that, we actually got the date for Ghost of Tsushima, which we didn't previously have, which is July 17th. Oh, yeah, July 17th. Mm -hmm. So that got delayed. 
Uh, we don't actually know what it was. It was still summer, but I think I, in Sony's mind, they probably just had to get this game out first. Because, like, yeah. I don't think you want to get Ghost of Tsushima out first and have people distracted by the, the main hype that is going to be this colossal uh, success from The Last of Us Part Two. I think they need to get that at first, let it have its mind share, let it breathe, let it be people's on mind and then pass, and then move on to the next yeah. game, you know? Did you play the first Last of Us, uh, Sterling? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, you're looking the, forward uh, to this one? I'm not, like, super... Ex- like, it's not, like, my favorite thing ever. I'll definitely play it, but... People hail it as, like, one of the greatest stories in video games and, like, how video game stories have evolved. And I just think it's, like, it's kind of like a typical movie story, if I'm being honest. Like, it's <laughs> the gameplay is fantastic and, like, the story is good. But, like, I don't know. I, I just wasn't as, like, flabbergasted as everyone by, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I could see that as well. I think um, when it came out in 2013, it's time and place. Like, there was amazing video game stories, but I think the reason that this broke through is that it wasn't a video game story. Like you said, it was basically like a movie within mm-hmm. a game. Yeah. And that kind of blew people away. They were just like, wow, this is this actually treats its material with, like, mm-hmm. huge amounts of gravity and this and that. And maybe that was, like, a, a fresh perspective. I mean, we've, we've had examples elsewhere. Like, Heavy Rain did that mm-hmm. a bit uh, in other titles, but it, it just seems like because this was, like, gigantic triple a uh kind of putting their mm-hmm. foot forward and and almost taking a risk i would say naughty dog took a risk by saying we're moving away from like the more popcorn pulpy action of uncharted in favor of something that might leave a bad taste in people's mouths mm-hmm. because it's it's a it's a game that its entire ending was basically without spoiling the first game's ending it's brilliant because it is open-ended mm-hmm. which we've seen movies mm-hmm. do right but i don't think video games have ever been bold enough to kind of try that shit it's that actually yeah. you just pointed out very yeah. clearly like movies have had so many years to tell very impactful stories and you know break grounds but i think this was the first time well first of many times where a game really broke and blended the two mediums you know had an epic movie type you know story within a video game that was kind of revolutionary but yeah it's kind of a rote story you know it is kind of just like the road with you know it's infected clickers and you know gameplay <laughs> yeah, in between is, yeah. um nothing that cormac mccarthy hadn't already done but i think it just it was it was kind of revolutionary and it was mm. a cool like tilting point from uncharted for neil and them to do something different but th- this 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 sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> this sucks so much <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it it's definitely uh my most anticipated of 2020 now that final fantasy 7 has come and gone it's come and gone yeah it's, it's been out for two weeks Daniel. we <laughs> Three. just we just burned through yeah. it like fucking uh, i won't forget people. it you won't forget it. I'll always remember the unknown journey. <laughs> I'll always remember that steel sky. I miss it. <laughs> I Do you guys think think these big games that are coming out like this year are going to be ported to PS5 or like I I think Final Fantasy VII like it's inevitable. Um, when you say PS5, like they're going to do like re-release editions or yeah, yeah. PS5 specific. Mm. I, it's interesting how they're going to handle that. I know, uh, CD Projekt Red had a weird little thing about how there's going to be an enhanced version for Xbox Series X. It's called smart delivery. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I don't quite know. I don't know the logistics of it, but they're really pushing it. Yeah. Something like that where there's enhanced versions. I think we'll see a lot of that, but I it would be fascinating if they just came out and said, well, here is a PS5 specific version of The Last of Us Part Two. I, I, I don't know what that would do to audience. Wouldn't that just like make it a little confusing? They ported the first Last of Us like a year or two after it came oh, that's out on right. PS3. Yeah, yeah, so, so like a definitive edition. I mean, I mm-hmm. I would not be surprised uh, if that's something they do, especially if they plan D 
DLC for this game in the same way. I actually wondered that about Final Fantasy VII, mm -hmm. where it's like, well, this game's going to be like cross-generational at this point, right? It starts on PS4, eventually moves on the Xbox One, and then by the time the second one comes out, it has to be a next-gen title, but like... How do we handle that continuity, or is it just kind of like, okay, goodbye, PS4? <laughs> I don't think there's one answer for it. I think maybe when Xbox finally has it to release, like a year from now or whenever they get their, their right to finally have it, uh, I think maybe they'll do the smart delivery option. Maybe Sony for PS5 will lean into, okay, well, it's backwards compatible because it's one of our top 100 mm -hmm. titles. Um, same thing. Uh, the Last of Us is probably going to be the same exact thing. Uh, I've got a number two on here for you guys, gentlemen. Uh, I th This is about Assassins and their Creed. I'm not sure. Uh, I've never heard of it. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Valhalla <laughs> has been revealed. It's releasing 2020. It's coming out for basically every fucking console except for the Switch. And that includes the Xbox Series X and PS5. Always nice to have an Assassin's Creed at launch mm -hmm. because there's always going to be a lame dick Call of Duty. To play. Oh, yeah. Remember inevitably. how bad Ghost was? Oh, so bad. Ghost was so what if bad. we got Ghost 2? <gasps> Don't say those negligible <laughs> words. Where's the sub article here about um how Switch is probably going to get like Odyssey? What? <laughs> I didn't see that. No, I'm just saying, like, you know, that'd be great. Like, because they're always like a generation behind in terms of Assassin's That's Creed. That's true. Games. That's true. We'll be 2025. It's like, we finally got Odyssey. Like, what, Switch. what did we you get? Assassin's Creed 3 and Rogue while like Black yeah. Flag was pushing out, like, you know, Xbox yeah. and PS. Yeah, I remember that. That's true. Uh, so apparently, this game is being led by Ubisoft Montreal. And 15 different studios have worked on the game. 15, God. Daniel, 15. I'm not surprised. Uh, you play as a Viking in 19th century England, and this comes from the official ad copy on their website. Quote, playable as female or male. How do you say that name? Ivor? 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 I'm going to let you live with whatever you say. Ivor leads a clan of <laughs> Norse people across the icy North Sea to flee Norway's endless war and dwindling resources. I hope, it, I hope Norway's okay these days. If they hope to survive... They'll have to build a new home in the hostile lands of England. There, you'll provide for yourself and your people by constructing, customizing, and upgrading your settlement with new buildings like barracks, blacksmiths, and tattoo parlors. <laughs> All new features. <laughs> and a Timmy Hortons. <laughs> I can't wait for the tattoo minigame. Uh, all while recruiting new members to your uh, clan, end quote. Yeah. So, another Assassin's Creed, my friend. Sterling, what's your, what's your feeling on these, uh, these creeds of Assassin's? I could not give any less of a shit if I'm yeah. Being... <laughs> okay. Yeah, I bet. I'd, Have you played uh, any of them? Oh yeah, that's the thing. I was very big into it back in the day, but I, I think it was after Black Flag when they, or maybe it was in three when they killed off Desmond. I was like, was all three, right, the yeah. <laughs> the overarching plot of the series is gone. Like they sometimes with games, and I could see this with like certain stuff in Final Fantasy VII. Like I can imagine how the writing table is and like the discussion some of the developers had. And I can tell that the big wigs at Ubisoft were like, yo, this series is not ending anytime soon. You need to cut out the bullshit with the overarching plot. Like it's done. <laughs> I, I, because it, it doesn't like resolve itself in any kind of meaningful way nope. either. Nope. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of these games. I actually like that the series kind of um, reinvented itself a bit mm -hmm. with origins and odyssey. In fact, I like this direction of being these kind of massive open world RPGs. That's, mm -hmm. there's, I honestly can't describe it another way. Whereas like, you wouldn't say that about Brotherhood. That's not a fucking RPG in any sort of way, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think this is exciting. I still want a, I still want my Japanese Assassin's Creed that apparently they refuse to fucking make. <laughs> They're literally fucking ninjas. Make it happen already. Come Please. on. Please. Every setting that mm -hmm. would make sense. They're just like, mm, no. Quit putting like, it in Europe or America. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Um, but I actually really dug Odyssey. When I heard this news, I was like, oh, shit, I should go back and play Odyssey mm-hmm. again. Because I had a lot of fun because the character work was great in that one. It was actually really solid. Um, if they continue just doing that, that's fantastic. Because I think, you know what the sad part is? I think a lot of people have kind of jettisoned from the series around uh, Unity slash Syndicate, even though Syndicate was awesome. Syndicate's great. Syndicate's great. Um, they jettisoned from that because it became samey, obviously. You release a game every fucking year, mm-hmm. people are going to get bored of it. I wanted to bring that up. It's kind of like a complete side note, but do you guys think that Resident Evil is because gonna become a, a yearly thing like assassin's creed because Does Capcom like, like money because <laughs> <laughs> i i think village is coming out next like year. start of next year yeah oh man see my boy knows about that village let me tell you what mm-hmm. yeah i'm super excited about that and one. then what like re4 remake is rumored to be like 2020 2022 i should say 2022 yeah, um, i know i know it's, it's right now Listen, it's outside. Okay, but <laughs> it's. I guess it just depends on the scale of the projects for them because they definitely have different teams to kind of pivot and work between the two, much like they had with Resident Evil Three Remake. So I'm sure they had their main team working on eight, you know, and then Remake Four. They probably need all hands on deck for that. Um, yeah, but I feel like it's it would hurt the series if it did because with Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty and sports games, it's such a general audience. Like it, it's such so many people play these games but resident evil is not the same like it is a niche audience and not a lot of people play horror games and i feel like a big part of resident evil 2 besides the fact that it was such a fantastic game was like people were so hyped because like it was a great horror game and a remake of such a classic but now even with me even i noticed when when 3 remaster came out i was like oh this is super exciting but like i felt like the hype wasn't quite as there as it was for 2 and I feel like if they if it becomes such a yearly thing, like people are going to become less and less excited. Honestly, I feel like they've already been doing the yearly thing probably since 2012. Like they haven't stopped. Like they have iterative games that they put out, multiplayer games. Revelations is a whole series that they've been working in between. I the guess main that's titles. true. So like I think it's just they're they're kind of trying to focus their best efforts where they know it matters. So like the remake timeline that they've got going on now, they know Resident Evil 8 is going to be pretty cool. So I think they're 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 going to make those new ones count. Um, and I don't think they would mm-hmm. do them if they didn't think there was uh, a story to be told or something that would move the franchise there, forward. There is that, but I do agree that it's like you could very easily fatigue the shit out of this franchise because mm-hmm. I think they they found a good swerve from with Seven and Remake Part Two where they're like, hey, we have a few identities that work instead of how we were living back in the early mm-hmm. uh, you know in 2012 era where it's like people were just not jiving on the action direction mm-hmm. anymore, right? Um, but I feel like you could really, yeah, you could, you could fuck it up. <laughs> There's a potential to fuck it up. If you stick with, um, just releasing a mainline Resident Evil every year is going to hurt. You well, know, that's when you stop and you pivot and you do something else. Capcom isn't just Resident Evil. Like no, you have is. other, <laughs> no, like there are other games. Dino Dino Crisis, you know, Ani Musha, do these games that like, or Power Stone, like bring these games back that people really want. Yo, motherfucking Power Stone, dude. If they brought back a Power Stone on the Switch, son? On the That'd Switch, son, people would lose their minds. Or would, Kevin would lose his mind. I would totally. Who, who would <laughs> yeah. you guys want in Smash from Resident Evil? I think it's Leon. I think Leon's like like a big good face that you could put in there. Um, even yeah. above Chris, to be honest with you, because I think you can have a little more fun with Leon's legacy exactly. yeah. of, of being both horror and action <laughs> in one person, basically. Or if they just put a monster in as a player playable character instead. Maybe. They did the Nemesis thing in Marvel vs. Capcom, and that's yeah. cool, but... At, He'd play, like, Ganondorf. I, I think there's... Like, you could have an <laughs> ultimate... Your ultimate smash be, like, oh, all the tyrants show up, or liquors are thrown at you and shit. That They're would crazy. be sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
You could do that. Capcom, get on the horn. <laughs> I got some ideas for you. Let's flesh this out. <laughs> but uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Let's bring it back no, to No, what that. about it? Fuck that. So who else will we put in Smash? <laughs> <laughs> put Ezio in Smash. Put Ezio in Smash. <laughs> um, I'm kind of like whatever about it. I do like the idea of like more uh, Norse Viking stuff, especially because like yeah. God of War 2018 got me hyped on like, you know, Norse mythology all over again. It's horny for the Norse. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I like their approach for it too, where it's like they're not trying to do an open world sprawl like Odyssey. It's more like, hey, here's a clan and an encampment build trust between them do very specific character story missions and side quests based off of the allegiances you form and it's going to be probably different for each player. i don't know the game still sounds gigantic it still sounds like, huge you, you go to but five like, different like entire like huge yeah areas but i think the there's just going to be so much variation player to player like much like there was with odyssey and i think that's really cool see i hear stuff like that whenever companies put out like the pr stuff like oh this the, the map is big the game world's going to be big i'm immediately like that Turn means off. nothing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it, it's not even the, what it means for, like, the story or the scope of the game. It's just that map size does not correlate to, to a better game in any mm-hmm. in any way. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, in fact, it might just it, mean, like, oh, there's more vapid content uh, to work through mm-hmm. instead of something. Exactly. T- yeah. Tell me a, a game map is dense. Right? Tell me it's dense with things to exactly. do. Exactly. That's and exactly. Shit. Yeah. Maybe that's a one turn off of Odyssey. That's why I didn't finish it. Because, mm-hmm. like, it takes you fucking 15 minutes to just, like, hop on your boat and, and go to, anything. like, one other side of the content, yeah. continent. And the entire time, I'm just like, hmm, I've just been listening to Sailor songs. Exactly. <laughs> <This> singing <laughs> sea shanties. Now, listen, like, I'm hyping these things up for people who might be excited for it. The idea of an open world sprawl gives me anxiety. I actually think. More in games to do sometimes is less for me, where it's like I don't always want to engage with that. I sometimes I want a more hyper focused experience. That's why I really like the ride that Final Fantasy VII Remake did, where it's like they gave you maybe like twenty six side quests, but the most part was a very deliberate focused story. It told me the story it wanted to tell me, whereas like eighty hour, hundred hour games like Odyssey becomes meandering after a while. But I do like that they're you know each quest. It's kind of like The Witcher, right, where they try and make each side quest meaningful. No two are the same. Uh, Um, I just have one question for for this do you guys think norse mythology is becoming the new zombie craze like it was in the early 10s 2010s because we got god of war we got that new game like gods and monsters we got this final fantasy has always had like norse mythology and stuff like that true but like vikings on netflix exactly it's becoming very prominent that's that's a good point. Maybe it is. And at that point, like, am I mad that like we're gonna get a lot of Vikings media and shit? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not too mad about that. That's fine. Because the game is gonna go into stuff like that, right? It's gonna go into the mythology. That's what mm-hmm. I read anyway. It's like, what is this game gonna do so differently compared to God of War? You know what I mean? Mm, Nar- a- narratively, like with the, with the mythos and the in the mythology I, I don't think it'll be as like fantastical but i will point out that odyssey did have elements where you're fighting straight up cyclopses like yeah. actual like yeah. the, there's no historical like precedence for why you're fighting an actual <laughs> cyclops like i've always hailed ubisoft and their teams for like the historical tone and accuracies and context for a lot of the stories but i think at this point they're like let's go wild with it if we're gonna go in these like mythological set piece let's have a mission where you do fight a cyclops or like a fucking norse beast of sorts you know i wouldn't be surprised if you came across like an odin type character in Mm -hmm. valhalla or or anything like that so at this point they're having fun with it i think i'm just kind of it's not that like i'm bored of vikings i just i want a different sort of representation from ubisoft explore different cultures we always talk with um our good friend varigi about how he wants to see like latin american cultures and you know central american cultures kind of be explored i really want to see like japan or china be explored a little more beyond a side scroller so do something else you know Mm -hmm. 
That's just kind of my take, though. That's true. Yeah. We'll see. It'll it'll come out. And there's 15 different editions, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I won't mention any of them, because I don't care. <laughs> uh, the third thing on here is really interesting, actually. This this kind of came out of nowhere, but it's almost kind of like expected, because there's such a big uh, uh, hole in games media, thanks to E3's cancellation. But Jeff Keighley said, where there's a hole, I'm going to put myself in it. And he got in there. <laughs> Number three is Jeff Keeley is hosting five months of gaming news and reveals. It is the Summer Game Fest. Daniel, are you ready for that Summer Game Fest? I'm ready for Jeff Keeley-sized impressions all over the earth. Oh, uh, I want world premieres every minute. <laughs> I got my jorts ready for this one. Oh my god. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, so he is, quote, bringing the world together to celebrate video games from the comfort of home. Summer Game Fest is a season of digital video game events from publishers, select playable content, in-game events, and more to be announced, end quote. The, quote-unquote, event will be hosted from May to August and feature announcements from companies such as Bethesda, Blizzard Entertainment, CD Projekt Red, Electronic Arts, Microsoft, Riot, Sony, Square Enix, and WB Games, giving me my fucking Harry Potter game. Uh, Summer Game Fest will be <laughs> streamed on all major platforms. Geoff Keighley says, quote, In these uncertain and challenging times, it's more important than ever that video games serve as a common and virtual connection point between us all. SGF, he's already got a fucking acronym, is an, is an organizing principle that promises fans a whole season of video game news and other surprises from the comfort of of home a fifth season in the year i can't believe it (laughs) i wish the quote was in these uncertain and challenging times it's important than ever that i put myself in this hole (laughs) i'm imagining you know that one um oh who's the japanese horror uh illustrator and author oh junji ito junji ito the fault of like um oh i forget the the fault in our stars no no the fault of like it's (laughs) It's a story about, like, these people who find, like, impressions of themselves in the side of this mountain. Oh, this is my hole? Yeah, they, this they, is my hole. <laughs> then they walk into the holes in the mountain and get yeah. stretched out, spoilers, yeah. uh, into an impossibly long humanoid. It's yeah. crazy. That, well, I forget the name of it because it has a really dumb name. Yeah. Jess is going to be really mad at this. She's going to be really this, mad. But, that's you know, such a creepy... Shout out to that's, it. So that's Jeff Keighley. He gets all the gamers to walk into their own holes in the side of a For mountain. games that are just for them. I need to know what the next Batman is. And they go through this fucking <laughs> mountainside hole. <laughs> that, that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> e is canceled now we're going metaphysical i don't get what this means per se like is it just gonna be him being like hey next week like we're gonna do this little event and this is when it is like is it just live streams i it's a strain like i and also to say five months it's probably only gonna be like two days out of each month yeah that's a good question i don't know what it exactly means i guess we're supposed to just kind of see game news and know that it's somehow mm-hmm. affiliated yeah with maybe it'll have like a like a hashtag or a branding point to it yeah and at this point too mm-hmm. like um inside xbox's um switch online events i forget what that's called nintendo direct nintendo directs there we you go. forgot Thank nintendo you. Direct? it's been so long since i've had one i forgot what it was called gotcha gotcha um or um the sony one that they're doing now too the inside nintendo direct it's, by it's, sony yeah that one do those then become <laughs> rolled into this summer game fest you know. See, I thought it was interesting that Nintendo's not in this list of companies. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that is that is actually true. Side note, I've heard that their planned Nintendo Direct for like the, the June period, which was supposed to correlate with E3, has mm-hmm. been delayed. So they're not going to do any event in June, mm. apparently. So we won't. We get to not hear about Metroid 4 again. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I, I've heard from a lot of people, and I agreed that because we still don't know what the big holiday game is from Nintendo this year. 
I've heard and I agreed that it was going to be Breath of the Wild 2. Mm, now, yeah. I do I do not know if that is the case anymore. Like it is so uncertain, especially if they keep canceling these directs. Yeah, and especially I mean again, we we can't overlook the fact that, you know, there's a apparently a global pandemic going mm-hmm. on that's delaying the shit out of everything and plans oh, are I'm never upset. Across. Yeah. Uh, when, oh, when yeah. these things get delayed, it's super understandable. Yeah, that's the thing too, where it's like, oh, I get it. Okay, you know, like I'm not mad about that either. Especially um, now, how yeah. can you be mad about a game delay in the middle of a pandemic? Like, <laughs> right. It's it's on. like, hey, look outside. <laughs> like, where's your level of empathy at that point? <laughs> like, exactly. It's like, are you impacted right now? Then guess what? The people that make your games. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, people. That's a key word here. That make your games are impacted as well. Um, I I think this is an interesting project because uh, Jeff obviously has a. A, a big hard on for video games in the mm-hmm. industry at large <laughs> you know he does cool things and this is a cool thing and i think esa s- tried to scramble to get some sort of digital version of e3 going and without even like officially announcing that they weren't rumors were that, that those plans just fell apart and maybe a big part of it was that jeff Keeley already backed out of e3 yeah. and i am 8-bit who he works with mm-hmm. to set up their events uh, e3 coliseum mm-hmm. also backed out um, so probably not a coincidence that they couldn't get the support from <laughs> them. I mean, this is an interesting prospect as a whole. Like, what does it mean for E3 in future years to come? We've all, dead. We've, exactly. Is this, is this dead. one of the, the first of the final nails in the coffin for E3 and the ESA? Um, I, I think the writing's been on the walls for a while, especially with it being the sort of event that it is. And fan, um intrigue has kind of dipped off and people mainly just watch it for the games not a lot of people actually attend it physically like you know they would other conventions it's mainly just a media thing otherwise for the most part there's, there's yeah. an odd mix of like but it being open to the public and that's only like a recent thing in but the last like few years. the majority of consumers and gamers watch it on youtube or twitch or watch their favorite you know personalities watch along with it so right. like i think this is a smart evolution for it and i think jeff is the right guy to make it happen because he's got the enthusiasm and i don't think it is a knee-jerk reaction to everything that's been going on. I think he had this planned. Um, mm. I think he's got the right people, you know, underneath his wings to kind of make this happen. And he's got plenty of examples in the last gen of, you know, um, Switch Directs, the Sony events, everything else, seeing even kind of funny with their, um, you know, indie showcases. There's a blueprint for how digital-only con- press conferences can go. And, and work. And grow, too. What do you think, Sterling? E3? Dead? <laughs> Honestly, uh... I kind of hope not because Mm -hmm. what a lot of people don't think about is the back end side of this. Like a lot of deals go on in the shadows of E3 with developers and publishers, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people bring their builds of their games to these shows so that they can go up to someone at Nintendo and be like, listen, Mm -hmm. I have this game. Can you guys fund it? Like, let me show you what it is. And, And that's when that starts. And now you can't do that if you have a digital show, right? Another thing is is in my world, like from the from the media standpoint, sites like IGN in the uh, seven days they do E3 coverage, they make most of their yearly revenue. Like their traffic is astronomically higher to the point where they make so much money, they feed off that for the year. Yeah, that's just like kind of gone in a sense, mm-hmm. especially because they're they're there they have a presence they do their own streams like a lot of that money is from ad revenue from companies being like oh holy shit it's c3 we're gonna sponsor ign to show a trailer of our movie or like stuff like that it really takes a chunk out of a lot of people's plans like i know Mm -hmm. at ign they start i think it was they start planning for e3 in november it it takes them a long time to, to get mm-hmm. this ball rolling again like don't quote me on everything but 
that's just <laughs> stuff that I've heard. Yeah, it, it makes it way harder, especially in games media. People can't network. People that's are unable to network. Point. People are unable, maybe uh, even smaller sites are trying to get in with like, you know, uh, publishers to do preview builds and events and get that good coverage on their site, which of course equates to clicks, which equates to keeping that site up and running and all that's gone. It's it's like entire segments of our industry just disappear overnight. I think the biggest example, and this is coming from, I used to work at a merchandising booth, um, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con was like fucking 25% of our revenue in the year. Mm-hmm. They canceled that event entirely. Can you imagine? It's like having your industry disappear overnight. And that that's a really hard thing. And I think, um, I well, it's sad to see that occur. I think survival is an important factor, too. And for us to figure out how do we run these things digitally? How do we communicate in a way that people aren't hoping for a chance encounter at a show like GDC or E3 mm-hmm. to make their game happen? How do we change that, you know? And my hope is that, you know... Uh, we don't just like that that just falls to the wayside that this cool badass like the next starbound or the next stardew valley doesn't happen just because there isn't e3 anymore you know i i we need to move on and, and figure out something else because like daniel said the writing's on the wall in a lot of different ways um mm-hmm. that's, it's so hard it's so hard to figure out because like nobody has a good answer right now for what's what yeah. what's next we've already seen like, kind of developers get savvy with it too like um the, the studio that did the messenger like they what they could have used as a good networking opportunity to kind of like you know promote the sequel they ended up just doing it themselves on kickstarter mm-hmm. so you're gonna see these kind of devs especially indie ones get a little wiser and, and maybe you realize that they don't need the overhead or the stress of putting their team out to like you know each convention like they need to to market a game maybe there are new ways to do it never never underestimate the the physical space in terms of how important networking is there like you guys said gdc e3 all these conventions are super important for mm-hmm. that even though the format's changing for e3 it doesn't mean it's going away for other you know ballparks you know like comic cons and other type conventions um i just think in terms of the digital space and showing off games there's still ways to make money and you actually decrease certain revenues or costs rather by saying okay i don't need to fly out all these people to this media event to or, set up a fucking or, fifty thousand dollar yeah booth or worry about like you know renting hotels or doing all this yeah. stuff they can still maybe have exclusive like here's this exclusive you know ign event at 8 p.m you know on our site and with specific ads and promotions i think that something like that might happen where you know there's still exclusive premieres with each pocket of the industry right so I, at least that's my hope i don't know what do you guys think no i i think that's fair like there's a way to reach audience but i i think to sterling's point it's like it makes it difficult for especially media to mm-hmm. operate that the way they've had over the last few years so sterling on on, on your side is there any like hand wringing that you've like seen or anything where it's like shit without e3 what the fuck do we do like have you heard that question mm-hmm. like pop up so like i i couldn't imagine what it means for like we were talking about like ign who makes a lot of their money this way like i some of the repeated advice i've gotten is like man if you want to keep going like you got to make connections and the best way to do that is to go to e3 gdc packs mm-hmm. and talk to people like literally just become friends with people mm-hmm. yeah let me let me ask you as somebody who is um you know a, a games journalist um and has been doing writing for the games industry for a while through various sites how do you network do you actually go out to conventions or is it through just meeting people through twitter and various online communities like how, how does that work for you presently i've never done it i've never gone to conventions and met people that's the thing that okay. that's the thing with e3 impacts is it's all american like i'd have to that's true book that's hotels true. book plane and like planes are expensive man yeah like oh yeah 
Oh yeah. It's worth it, but I'd have to save a lot of money just to go for a couple days, and then it's like I wouldn't want to go alone. Like I'd want to mm-hmm. bring someone with me, so I'm not in a country by myself that, you know, is it's not foreign, but you know, it's not my home. Oh, America's pretty but, scary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Oh, yeah, on my end, it's it's mostly just social media and, and okay. reaching out to people and, and hoping that they actually enjoy talking to you and that you're getting whatever point you're trying to make across to them in a, in a friendly way and that, mm-hmm. and that, you know, just trying not to, like, with some people, it's like you want something from them in the end, right? And it's trying not to come off like that too much, being like, hey, nice to meet you. Can I have a job? <laughs> I never really had a taste for it myself, right? Because, like, I was technically in gaming, but not, like, the media portion. But we, we definitely had to, like, petition for, like, um, video game licenses to make certain merchandise and stuff. So you, you'd have to meet with people and, like, have discussions and, and have to play off everything like it's so natural, even though, like, the nature of the relationship is you have something I want. <laughs> and I've, I've, never, I've never liked that. It's the same way where it's, like, for, you know, the, the, the save room, this podcast, it's, like... I mean, we, we don't go too out of our way to, like, expand ourselves. Like, we could be going to shows wearing fucking mm-hmm. Save Room t-shirts and being like, what's going on, Greg Miller? We really love your stuff, bro. Like, <laughs> like we, we don't do that. I'm really. awful at networking. Yeah. It's like, we, I think no, we, we've done this thing we're, where we're we socially have, anxious people. have slowly cultivated <laughs> uh, an audience and a community based off of, you know, our podcast or our, our Twitch mm-hmm. streams, a cult of personality, if you will. No, just a cult. Um, and... <laughs> We don't we don't get a lot of traction on our Twitter at all. Um, oh, never. You find that you get more traction on your personal Twitter, and I mm-hmm. get none because I have a personal account. Because I'm, <laughs> so, I'm handsome. But it's just like face. we don't go out of our way. I think if we really put our shoulder to it, we could. But you know, we wouldn't see yeah. the full benefits of it uh, five, until five to ten years. Because like in reality, like a lot of the companies that make it big first and foremost are the ones who already came from gaming, right? Like kind of funny. They came from IGN. <laughs> they, they already did. had a, yeah. a foundational basis. People yeah. that work out Funhouse came from previous teams and so on and so forth. Machinima so, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So they already have a following where it's like if you're kind of just a fish out of water starting up a, a write-up company or, you know, making your own podcast, it's, it's hard. And now it's even harder. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, those events aren't That's- a thing right now. That's the thing, though, is like a lot of um, a lot of these people have the exact same stories as people like you and me. Like, a lot of people are like, "Yeah, I started out by doing this on the side, working a job I absolutely hate, mm-hmm. and I thought, like, you know, I wasn't going anywhere, and I was about to quit, and then I got a break." And even me, like, man, when you guys even call me a games journalist, I'm like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like, I I get such bad imposter syndrome, like, especially when it comes to things like these events, like e3 and nintendo directs when like as soon as it's announced it's like all hands on deck this mm-hmm. is what we're doing okay you're covering this i got this and i'm just sitting in the corner like i can help whenever you need guys like i'll i'll just do whatever you want and people are like go 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 it's it's like it's so intense and like suspenseful i did like a lot of like writing for some different like you know smaller gaming sites and such and i was like yeah i want to do this and then like just the amount of hustle that goes into it is like a thing that like I respect it. I don't know if I have the right chemical balance or motivation to like keep up on that kind of thing, especially since I do have social anxiety. Like it, it's not easy for me to go up to a stranger and be like, "Hey, what's up, man? That looks like a cool game." What a lot of peers? Who are you? Ah, let's talk. You know, like I have no idea <laughs> how to how to make that come off naturally or anything. It's weird for somebody who's like so outgoing. You do have like this really crushing like social anxiety about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think what a, a lot of people don't realize is that like it it doesn't take luck to work at IGN like you just really have to put in the work mm-hmm. it 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 will 
take like luck to be the next Greg Miller or Alana mm-hmm. Pierce. Like you do have to, again, these people also work extremely hard. Like I'm not yeah. at all dis- discouraging or mm-hmm. discounting what they've done, but like just to be given some of the opportunities that some people have gotten, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it will take you talking to the right person at the right time and stuff mm-hmm. like that and making the right friends. But you just, you really got to put in the work. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I, and again, like, you know, to your point, like, how does that work going forward right now, uh, given current events? Like, how do people still engage? Is it weird to jump in somebody's DMs and be like, hey, I'm a fan of your shit and I do this writing? Or like, I, I don't know what those lines of delineation mm-hmm. look like. Yeah, we're going to see some weird hemorrhaging and some weird changes mm-hmm. like going forward. I just hope we're able to like, the one thing that I try to like position forward about all of these events whether you are working from home or not working from home or not working at all right now is that a little empathy goes a very long way understand that everybody's stuck in a shitty situation right now understand that people like may not have the brain power to keep up with what the old world was so when you talk about like having that hustle and shit i think it's totally understandable that somebody couldn't keep up with that that hustle anymore Mm -hmm. like hey your your networking's not looking too good these days and it's like um nobody's networking looks too good these days (laughs) you know (laughs) i think the old expectation is a little unrealistic now where it's like going hard on your people and making sure they're performing the same way it's like we're under this weird mental duress that we've never been in before as like a civilization nothing any of us has really seen in our lifetime so it it definitely leaks out in weird ways and um unfortunately we're going to continue to see like corporate downsizing people who are really talented in the industry are going to be fighting even harder to keep their jobs and you know i I definitely hope that they can stay afloat and still find opportunities however that you know right works for them and being able to like assist each other and Mm -hmm. and promote each other by the way sterling has a bunch of cool articles on twinfinite.net right now Mm -hmm. huh you see how i worked that one that's good that's good (laughs) good. uh but yeah that's that's what's up man well e3 not a thing Mm -hmm. games jamboree what is it what did jeff call it the game fest the Uh, summer game the world premiere factory the world premiere (laughs) factory is is a thing we'll see what that means Mm -hmm. um i think these companies just needed an outlet and a lot of these publishers like wb games and sony were already figuring out how to do it themselves anyway maybe it is nicer to have an umbrella to sit underneath Mm -hmm. to say like hey this is supposed to be for game reveals and, and stuff like that um, we'll see how that works. I again, like I said, I mean, I, I don't think there's a big difference for fans at home mm-hmm. of whether it's Jeff Keeley stream or official E3 stream or what have you. But behind the scenes, you're right. Yeah, there's a lot changing. I hope it doesn't change to like no more Nintendo Directs or Inside Xbox or whatever. Like I hope it's not companies afterwards being like, well, we can just do this ourselves. But the thing with like. CD Projekt Red is is okay. There's 45 minute videos just talking about cyberpunk, whereas like a Nintendo Direct has like a little. It's like and there's a little something for everyone. So it's like okay, if I if I don't like cyberpunk, then I'm not gonna watch this. But it's like I'm gonna tune into a Nintendo Direct because there might be something I really mm-hmm. like. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, that's true enough. Uh, I I think you'll still see Nintendo like mm-hmm. pivot around those and have those be their primary thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. I I think it's more about those publishers that don't have a space to to talk about their cool shit like think about games like man eater 
Mm-hmm. It's a fucking open world shark game that I'm super excited about, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, where you think that's going to be a Nintendo Direct? Hell no. <laughs> like, where do they go? <laughs> and then here comes Jeff with an answer, which I think is pretty cool, right? To be able to shout out these things. At the end of the day, Nintendo is always going to have its own platform to speak to its audience. Sony's going to have the same. And their big first party games are going to always have that voice. I think it's giving third party mm-hmm. the right voice and right venue. You know, I wonder if we see kind of a shift where it's like we we have less physical spaces now to demo games, um, which are super hands on for develop developers and really pivotal for public interest. But now do we maybe see the increase of like, okay, here's a 30 minute demo of our game, play it, generate some interest. Ah, uh, the revival of demos. There we go. Yeah, bring it's, demos back. Square Enix was like, here's the first chapter of Final Fantasy VII remake, and it was as perfect as it was in the final build. Did you say Final Fantasy? I did. Sterling, do you like Final Fantasy? <laughs> final what? It's it's this thing, right? Like they thought there would be like a, a none none more, so they called it final. But the joke was on them because there's thousands more. Fantasies forever, man. Fantasies never end. <laughs> Fantasies don't end. Uh boys, I want I want to talk a little bit more about that FF seven before we wrap this this whole situation up. Um, I have a you, question: Are we allowed to talk about spoilers or or no? Are we allowed to talk about spoilers? We're allowed to talk about spoilers out here. Yeah, here's okay, a spoiler there's wall. something. There's something I want to bring up so bad, but continue. continue. Oh, oh, now I'm fascinated. Well, hey, if you guys don't want to hear the spoilers part of this, put up your mana wall, turn this off, and we'll see you next week. What's going on? What's on your mind, my friend? So, at the end of the game, right, when... (laughs) Just goes right for it. (laughs) Daniel just smiled. He just smiled, like, like, as soon as you said that. (laughs) You know, the end boss is kind of, like, defeating the big whisper, and he's like, oh, this guy's, like, fate. And it kind (laughs) of alludes to the fact that, like... You're breaking the continuity of the original game, and now anything is possible. Yeah. Like, how do you guys feel about that? I'll I'll, I'll start on this one. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, I fucking love it. I fucking love that. <laughs> that was great, actually. Um, I I don't I know I actually have a friend of mine. Um, he he listens to the show. What's going on, Alex? We're talking about your bitch ass. Um, <laughs> he. He hates the fact that they deviated. Mm-hmm. He was like, this is not what Square Enix sold us on. They said it was a Final Fantasy VII remake, and what they're doing here is a reboot. And it's true. It's, mm-hmm. It means the same thing, though, doesn't it? Like, re- you're remaking something. You're rebuilding it. I think what he wanted was a remaster. Kind of, yeah. Like, he basically said, I want the original game in story with better graphics. And I was like, yeah, but that's not what this is. I feel I like it'd be boring. I like, feel like I feel that like too. it wouldn't be as, ex- as exciting. Full stop, they never told us what this remake was going to be. Like, they yeah. never said, hey, it's going to be a one-for-one one of the original. They never said it was going to deviate. They never said anything about it. They're just like, this is something we're working on, and we're putting time in it, and it's going to be something we hope you guys like. And they obviously have a very huge idea of, like, something new they want to try out with. Why not? The franchise for Final Fantasy itself is now 20... Or, sorry, for Final Fantasy VII itself is, like, 23 years old. Between the original game, you know, Advent Children, Crisis Core, Dirge of Servers, all this other, like, ancillary games, Kingdom Hearts, whatever, you know, whatever you want to tie into it. Um, so why not flip it on its head a little bit? I, I think some of the, the the plot development and devices of, like, the Whispers is pretty in your face, and the fact that you're defeating these arbiters of fate who are basically, like, impressions of, like, your party, like, you know, Tifa, Cloud, and, and Barrett. Um, it's kind of, like... On on the nose, but it's also like super. Is that cool. confirmed? You keep on saying that to me, and it's, I'm like, yeah, I get it's, it. One it's, of them has a sword, and one of them one has of them has guns. One of them fights sure. with his fist. It's kind of like like it's a fan theory, but it's kind of it points know, to it. I've um, I've heard some super cool theories that it's like, man, mm-hmm. that'd be awesome. That's what I like about this game and the ending. Mm-hmm. 
can we this is now the final fantasy 7 conspiracy cast mm-hmm. um i have a fan theory because <laughs> sure. i'm a fan i think the Aerith in this game is not from either that dimension or she knows something about their future so yes so it's, i think yeah. i think her and sephiroth know they know the events of the original game exactly and that's what actually makes it so mm-hmm. amazing you know going back through the game on hard and revisiting the cutscenes and like just kind of sitting there with like you know rapt attention i was just like there's something really special and meta about the fact mm-hmm. that they're referencing the original games giving you those weird flashbacks to mm-hmm. the meteor striking the planet to basically what the ending of the original game was mm-hmm. and saying almost implying that these things happened and for these characters, it's almost like a doomsday scenario uh, coming true. And maybe, just maybe, there's some sort of hope that it doesn't have to end up that badly again. Even though it's a remake, that's, it literally is a remake. <laughs> you that's, know? that's why I'm so... Oh, oh, first of all, I think it was Nomura that, that said, or somebody else high up that worked on the game is like, oh, once we release future installments, people will see why it's called remake <laughs> and not just like final fantasy 7 or, or or like future or titles will, will alert <laughs> allude to what remake really means so i think it's going to be like the second one will be like rebirth or reunion or, yeah reunion or stuff like that that actually would be pretty cool mm-hmm. I, I i like that a lot i a lot of this game could have fell flat on its face mm-hmm. and it didn't because it's it's treated with such like adoration not just for the original but for the direction that they're going on you can tell the developers are super excited about mm-hmm. being able to lay familiar ground but go in an entirely different direction with it and i i think that's such an interesting way to go about uh reimagining and re retooling you know because because mm-hmm. you look at remakes like resident evil 2 I w- it's not one for one with the original game but it does reimagine a lot of elements while still keeping on the same course this game doesn't this game feels like it's like hey we've retooled a lot of the aspects that you love and know and are familiar but we're going elsewhere and either you're along for that ride or you're not (laughs) i was initially super nervous to hear they were putting it in parts because i'm like how are they going to make this really have like a momentum across all the games and like for the first game to be like you know a 40-hour experience that's super self-contained and dares to tell a different story i only feel like they're going to continue that with such strong conviction for title to title to title and it's like Mm. you get some liberties here because it's like these characters were super one-dimensional interactions were really one-dimensional environments were but here in the original game you can breathe new spaces with these characters make them self-aware put them on this avengers type quest where they are trying to change fate or have villains be like hey i'm aware because i'm a time traveler and i already know all these other possibilities so let's get crazy with it you know let's go fuck wild like the, the whole bit with like sephiroth tempting cloud to change fate with him is like so cool and like that was crazy yeah so different for them to do that was actually really crazy. like that, that scene See, where you go beyond destiny's crossroads to like that galactic like yeah yeah birthing place the and, cosmos canyon bro yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "This is I, a, this is our forking path. Let's do something here." It's I didn't a- understand any of that the first time I played, mm-hmm. but when I did the second, I was like, "Man," because like I was just like, "What? Is, what's he talking about?" <laughs> but then, like you said, like I think Sephiroth knows that he mm-hmm. failed in the original game, yep. and he's like, "Yo, we need to change this. Come with me, and we can." I remember in that final battle when they get the vision of like red 13 running through the canyon they're like what the hell did we just see and he's like oh this is a vision of 
what happens when if we fail here today yeah. and i was just like what does that mean that's what are you talking about that's literally the end of final fantasy 7 like the game ends like hundreds of years after the meteor crashed and basically like renewed life cycle and it brought everything back to the live stream and it's literally like red and his kids just fucking like looking over the new midgar and like so weird to see that as a vision and for red 13 to know too is mm-hmm. really telling another indication of maybe these characters are all out of place from different timelines well actually <laughs> so that one part where we, when we first meet red in the yeah. game and Aerith like jumps in front of him and does like this weird mind transfer thing mm-hmm. and suddenly he's just like Okay. <laughs> you think she's transmitting information to him? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's like that scene in, in Dragon Ball Z when Goku finally comes back to Earth and Krillin's like, where have you been? And he's like, oh, it'll just be easier if I can transfer the knowledge to your mind. <laughs> and, Basically. <laughs> and Krillin has like Vietnam War flashbacks. And then he's just like, oh, okay. Like, that's literally what happened. Red is just like, uh. And then he's like, oh, okay. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that all tracks. Anyway, let's let's go find this Hojo guy. <laughs> um, do you guys want Aerith to die in the end? No, Aerith is my I best want girl. her to. I, I actually I want still it to... want it to be fulfilled, but in a different way. Yeah, I want it to be like, oh, they've changed fate. So something happens during that scene where, like, oh, she survives, or Cloud pushes her out of the way, or something, mm-hmm. and then you're hopeful. And then just, like, everything's going to be okay. And then, like, boom, Sephiroth, like, cuts her head off. Like, <laughs> oh it's even God. worse. Oh, she's too hot. You yeah. can't do this to her. <laughs> she's too hot. Because uh, I, I feel like, you know, like Thanos says in, in Avengers Endgame, Endgame, he is inevitable. And I feel like there are points of this story that are going to be inevitable. Because to change them completely would really fuck up the fans. So, like, have these, like, set dressings in between that do new things. Maybe take these characters that we know on different adventures. But I feel like the major beats, like... Aerith dying or you know the, the whole world getting destroyed like these things have to happen in some capacity mm-hmm. mm, like Kate Sith uh, exploding in that one scene just That's exploding great. to a billion pieces yeah, that was crazy <laughs> yeah uh, I, I had no idea who that was by the way because mm. I, I, I never beat Final Fantasy 7 the original like I'm, I'm trying I'm going to replay it on the Switch uh, at some point but that was such a bewildering point to me where when the plate falls on sector seven and you see this fucking like cartoon cat run up <laughs> and just like in pure anguish like shake its fist to the skies and i was just like is this supposed to be like a metaphor for the audience <laughs> like what is this that's the point where he actually like starts to seek revenge against avalanche and follows your party to different locations until he then becomes part of your party yes that, that is completely understood from the events of seven remake yes that the, the fucking the the kate cat this black cat is on a crusade his crown yeah oh my god i the, the nonsensical I love it. is what I it love was it so much but i'm glad that square enix was like yeah we're not gonna pull any fucking punches we don't care who you are or what you are this game is gonna be what it's gonna be no matter no matter what you say i am a little worried that number is gonna go full cock crazy with it like he did with kingdom hearts like still reel it in and ground a lot of the story even if it is gonna be cosmic and weird but don't go out there and create new characters just to do it yeah sterling do you think it's gonna get that weird you know with like organization 13 shit and go like bonkers with its story or do you think they're gonna keep it like pretty reined in i i don't know it's it's hard to say because nomura like he he is the kingdom hearts guy like he <laughs> he that's his storytelling is is these con uh, or abstract concepts like friendship and fate and 
I hate that kind of stuff. Like, I it, it makes no sense. Like, it it's a really, really bad storytelling, in my opinion. It, it's like a corny plot dev- device that they just kept going for like twelve plus years. Exactly. Yeah, just over and over and over. Yeah. I don't know. Th- but th- this one is like the most like grounded of Nomura's attempts, where I was just like, oh, I really actually feel these characters. You, whatever you're doing now, I don't know if it's because Nomura's like what in his fifties mm-hmm. and he just has more experience and different mindset mm-hmm. and is wearing less trip pants. Uh, I. I I'm not sure, but like the story worked for me. Mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't go nuts out. But a lot of people don't like. They keep blaming him. Like I've seen so much criticism mm-hmm. about this game. They keep saying like, "Oh, it's all his fault. The story's different." It's like he's just the director. He didn't write the story. I think as a director, he probably like a-, a lot of the original team is working on this game, right? Mm-hmm. I think he has enough people around him that if he did try to deviate too much, mm-hmm. people would be like, "Man." What are you doing? Like, like yeah. people are going to be pissed, pissed if like, you know, you kill Barrett or something like that. Like it doesn't, I think there'll, there'll be changes like there are with the first one, but I think they'll be welcome. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. changes. I, I to most people's point. I don't even think that the first installment's really that much different from the opening five, six hours of the, the game in Midgar. Like granted, they're all expanded and you're doing way different things within them, but the ideas and feels and story is still present there. They're just going to expand it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like that's how you modernize it. That's how you give us an installment that's worth $60. That's worth waiting for and worth our time and attention. You know? Yeah. Do you guys think, uh, the avalanche member surviving, lessens the impact of the plate dropping well jesse still died (laughs) seems like jesse still dead yeah um i i I heard people say that like her headband or or gloves or something are on the table next to Biggs. yeah in the end our friend chelsea said the same thing she pointed Mm. that out that it was like hey her stuff is there so maybe they're both alive Eh, maybe it could have been his maybe they share Maybe they share. Yeah. Maybe they share. Maybe <laughs> they, they have similar size hands. Oh, maybe they're the same person, like yeah. Buffy. Ben is is Glory. That's why we never see him <laughs> in the same deep. scene ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but um, I don't think it lessens the impact because at the end of the day, uh, an entire fucking sector got crushed by a plate, nonetheless. Oh my God. And then like the game makes you walk through that fucking destruction and debris, looking at people like, "Hey, our lives just got crushed by something." Uh, I, I I think that was still a heavy ass moment, nonetheless. Actually surprisingly heavy in comparison to like even other final fantasy games mm-hmm. yeah I, I i think if they what i'm trying to say is i hope they don't hold back on certain things like i do agree as much as i love Aerith, and i do love Aerith. i love the way that they they portrayed her in this game and how much of a character she is uh she still has to die like that's still mm-hmm. super important to the story um and the whole like zach not being dead thing again i have no legacy with zach but apparently that like people were flipping their shit like going like oh my god zach is supposed to die in that battle at the end of the uh, game um that's just an interesting thing to do like what does that mean (laughs) i think they needed to justify a reason for why zach shows up at the coliseum in birth by sleep um and fights alongside sora and company god (laughs) (laughs) they're just like how do we justify that plot thread that that whole that whole thing i mean yeah it it does make it a little weird and it, it invalidates some canons and other things but it's just like it's also an alternate congruent timeline and it would be interesting to see maybe as a ploy like sephiroth pull him in somehow or do something guys you know what i you know what i want you know what i want i since there's other timelines and stuff i want basically like um are you familiar with power rangers sterling (laughs) uh sort of (laughs) are you they did this episode called Forever Red, where every Red Ranger from every universe possible God. shows up in one episode. I want that. <laughs> what if we got every cloud? Every one? cloud imaginable. 
Advent Children Cloud, fucking Kingdom Hearts One Cloud, <laughs> fucking fucking uh, PS One Cloud showing up with like six polygons. They all come together to fight every version of Sephiroth. Possible. That would be so cool, though. <laughs> right? I don't hate that idea. No, not at all. And that'd be the ending of Seven Remake, and people would be like, "That was a little different than the original." <laughs> <laughs> I think this game is fantastic, mm-hmm. man. I, Sterling, do you, do you find yourself, um, especially in terms of the combat, do you mind that the series is just running and sprinting away from the traditional turn-based stuff? Yeah, I don't really mind, to be honest. I think other games are doing it well, and other games made by Square Enix. Like, if you want traditional game like that, just play Octopath Traveler. It's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's built it's built upon the foundation of the originals and it's expanded upon it so well. I don't think that sort of gameplay would, would really work nowadays. Yeah. Like, for like a mainline final fantasy anymore. I think we could get it. And like, I keep saying this over and over again, if the, if square ever decided to remake like some of their earlier games, they could do it in the Octopath style and it would work really well. Like I keep screaming for six remake six, like Octopath. That'd be dope. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article about that. Oh, nice. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Square even, you know, being a parent studio for Octopath and all that and making that game happen, it's just like, they're already flexing that traditional muscle elsewhere. Let them do something new and modern here, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you real quick, Sterling, to get your, your pulse. Maybe with some favorite moments, or since you wrote a whole entire ranked boss guide on a, on your <laughs> site, what are some of your favorite like moments or boss fights in particular? Oh, man. Probably my favorite scene. Did you guys take the elevator or climb the stairs? We did both. Both. Oh, my God. I love it. It's so funny. I love the stair scene. It's so good. (laughs) I actually pitched an article the other day about how I wanted to write, like, how the stair scene is, like, a metaphor for real life (laughs) and how you have people like Tifa who are, like, super motivated and, like, they're ready to just do it because, like, it's got to be done. And then you have people like Cloud who are just, like... They also just do it because it has to be done, but they, they like don't really have an opinion on it. It's just like part of their life. And then you have people like Barry who absolutely hate the grind, and they're gonna <laughs> complain about it like the whole time, and and how life kind of feels like climbing fifty nine flights of stairs, and how you you really gotta persevere. But eh, they didn't bite, so ah, <laughs> oh, we'll take it. We need a website yeah. first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I. I don't know. Just some of the dialogue is so good in that game, especially uh, Barrett's my favorite character. I think uh, his dialogue is so funny. Like when he just starts like randomly singing at some points mm-hmm. or when he tries to like hug Biggs in the one scene and Biggs like ducks out of the way and he's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like just stuff like that. Like, But yeah, my favorite boss fight was probably Hell House. I mean, that was such a fun fight. Yo, Hell House demands respect and i do mean on hard mode in particular mm-hmm. oh i my spent God. hours on that fight like i just was mm-hmm. like banging my head against the wall that was one of the fights that actually like trained me to go like hey man materia is not a nice to have mm-hmm. materia is a necessity to figure out mm-hmm. how how to use it what's the right combo does it make sense to have elemental in combination with uh lightning or fire like it really like what are you gonna do how are you gonna spread that across your teammates and it just commanded like like i just respect the hell out of the systems in place on a hard on hard mode it actually does feel like a really traditional final fantasy boss fight where you have to really spec correctly and know like each phase of the boss and how to kind of overcome them and what works against them what works you know with them 
Right. What's 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 he immune to? Mm-hmm. How many chairs is he going to send at your face? How many Todd berries? <laughs> How many Todd berries? <laughs> uh, always three, by the way. You better get uh, get your bracer. <laughs> is it bracer or braver? Braver, right? Braver, yeah. Yeah. Get that going. Uh, when the second one gets popped out of the house, by the time that you land the attack, all three will be dead. This is a pro strat from somebody who just platinumed it. I listen, man. I I put a lot of work into this fucking game. <laughs> what was your final clock? Like hour? Sorry, one hundred and thirteen hours. One hundred and thirteen hours. <laughs> Same. One hundred and thirteen hours. In game hours well spent yeah because because the thing that fucked me up the most sterling was the the last trophy i had to pop was getting every dress in the game so i had to repeat like chapter three and chapter eight and chapter nine a number of times (laughs) to make that happen because i just kind of skimmed past it yeah i I did it kind of chronologically where i played through the main game got as many trophies as i could and then i did a like halfway playthrough where i got the dresses like the second reign of dresses and then my full last playthrough i'm like on hard getting everything else i need to and cleaning up and then I, my last trophy that i popped was actually beating it on hard which was so triumphant for me it felt so good oh i bet man yeah yeah um I, some standout boss fights for me i, I would call it i like a lot of the person-to-person fights with like the turks like, yeah reno and rude i like roche's fight. fight sephiroth's fight is probably like my favorite fight in any game in recent years just like the the cosmic set piece for it and the music and it's just so cool because like we didn't originally get that at that point in the game uh for the 97 uh 7 so like this is such a cool realization of like everything we've always wanted from an encounter with sephiroth at that point and even the genova fight like the music and all of it is so atmospheric and cool and they make each fight feel kind of like an event moment that's like really like there's a lot of thought to it and a lot of love and a lot of like you know homage to things that they've done in the past so it's it's special mm-hmm. a lot of people are criticizing the game because they think the final boss with Sephiroth kind of makes him not as menacing like it was in the original game. Like how in the original game, he was like this legendary soldier who like nothing could beat him. Like he was unstoppable. And then in this game, he's the final boss fight and you kind of just beat his ass. <laughs> I mean, he still survives, but keep keep in mind like the the idea that there are these like Sephiroth Genova cells where he's just kind of imprinting himself on them. So I imagine we're gonna get an- another fight with him that's even harder. I just think it's impressive that like you know if if you remember at all uh, when Final Fantasy Advent Children came out <laughs> and people were just like, wow, it's so amazing that like end fight with Sephiroth and Cloud. I wish I could play a game like that. And then when Square gives them a game where you literally do exactly that and it looks almost as good <laughs> yeah. as that movie did. If not better. If not better. And people are just like, oh, this sucks. I'm just like, you can't, you can't fucking You're win insane. with these people. Ever. You're insane. Like, the last cutscenes of chapter 17 and 19 are gorgeous and so hyper-realized. Yeah. I was like, my mouth is open the whole time. Like, it was. Wow. His mouth is open now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me it, it was the scene where you're in the shinra building and you see the hologram movie thing that's that like, oh my god <laughs> oh my god that blew my mind i was just like man this game looks impossibly good <laughs> it really does it's so smooth the entire time too like no hiccups no issues i'm just like why how did they make a game like this and it's like you know how we typically get like the best games at the end of a console's generation mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this will shine as like one of the best like senior ps4 games to come out right i i mean i can't wait for the next installment but at the same time like i'm i don't want them to rush it because i mm-hmm. want I want to feel like another experience like this. I don't think they're. I don't think it's gonna land as heavy as this one did because this was such a strong introduction to their vision for the remake. I think part two is gonna gonna carry on a lot of the same ideas and go to different directions. We'll, we'll see, especially given the subject material. Mm-hmm. What the, the second part's gonna be? What the golden saucer? 
area? Um, it, Mithril Mines, Calm, Mithril Mines, uh, yeah. the area that like um, Cloud and Tifa grew up, where Sephiroth burned that village to the ground. I imagine all those oh, major spoilers, dude. What the fuck? Set pieces and all that shit. Um, there, I mean, there's more context to that, obviously, but um, I think those moments are going to get played up and be served really well. They're, they're, like I said, there's still potential. Yeah. I think it's like often how we look at like sagas in like film we look at like i don't know avengers is my always go to right like first avengers is great second one is mm, it's it's fine no, but about. like you know Endgame and infinity war they were the shock and awe they were these defining moments in cinema for like the mcu and i think these later installments are going to do the same for uh final fantasy i think maybe the second one will be a little more fun and kind of out there but then when they need to bring the story back and really come to that climax they're gonna do it yeah what's your party look like in the second part you you have red 13 you mm-hmm. have barrett you have tifa do you still have you have Aerith, you have yeah, Aerith is kind of still there here and there. Uh, Kate Sith is there. Um, the great Ninja Yuffie, Vincent uh, Valentine. So these characters that, like, you know... Is that her title? You always say the great Ninja Yuffie. And <laughs> I'm just a, like, is that how she's intro? She has a last name, but, like, she's the great Ninja Yuffie. The great Ninja Yuffie. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But you think they'll make these characters optional, like, in the original game? I hope not. I, I mean, it would be fun as, like, extra content, but I think if they see them in the story, that'd be really neat. Could you imagine that? You, you go the whole game and you just never get Vincent. Yeah, that'd be like weird. Remake. That'd be <laughs> fucking weird. I don't. I don't think they're bold enough to do it. Uh, maybe they are. Yeah, I, I think. I think they'll make them. You have to get them. They're playable. Mm. Yeah, like they're core. It's, a part of it. I mean, they made especially a because off with Vincent. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Yuffie, right? Like they're playing up the Wu Tai stuff so yeah. much. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's related to that, huh? Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that actually blew my mind that there's an entire avalanche sect that isn't mm-hmm. uh, Barrett and team. Uh, just out there. I, I don't know what that means. How big is Avalanche at that point? Mm-hmm. Where are they? I like it, though. When I played the original, I was like, I don't understand. Is is Avalanche literally just Barrett, Jesse, Big, like all them? Mm-hmm. Or is like is there more people? But in this game, it's like, no, nah, they're just like a tiny section of it. Well, you see like another like part of uh, Avalanche that kind of works like under the guise of Shinra, like kind of more militarized. Yeah. More the, publicly they, accepted. They and then, show up uh, in the one chapter with the motorcycle. Yeah, perfect. chapter four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then you have Wutai, which is actually the the counter nation that like the war started over. So Is that what that's about? Yeah, yeah. Yuffie's on the other side of that. I like that they're alluding to so much and leaving so much. Like some some people are saying like, oh, this game has too many unanswered questions it's like yeah you just have to wait just play the next one like mm-hmm. it's okay to to not have everything answered like given to you right away like there's got to be build up and suspense and and mystery yeah and i think inevitably too like you're gonna you're bound to disappoint somebody like it, somebody's gonna be disappointed no matter what they do yeah. but i think they just mm-hmm. need to at least honor the vision that they set up and and the story that they want to tell you know yeah stick to it yeah. Just stick to what you're doing. Just trust yourselves. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to fans bitching, bitching, bitching. There's no reason to bitch. It's actually a really good game mm-hmm. with a really good story with really good combat. Yeah, as it stands, it's my game of the year. Maybe one of my games of the decade. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, Maneater I, will be my game of the year. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you, Sterling, have you seen anything from Maneater? The important I have, game but, Maneater? <laughs> but with game of the year, I mean, Farming Simulator is coming out on PS Plus. So, I mean, uh, but that's oh, the 2019 you know, edition. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, that's that's true, last year's that's model. True. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it might be up for the running, <laughs> <laughs> depending on how many games get delayed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you something, Sterling. It's just kind of a fun, you know, dismount. I don't know if there's anything else, any closing thoughts you have on Final Fantasy VII. I'll let you get them out real quick. I know you got a lot to say. I think I've really covered everything I wanted to mention. The one thing I. W- I noticed was like, because we were talking about Hell House, it's like, it's such a hard fight. And then when I got to like Pride and Joy, 
it was ridiculously i beat it in one go like in a couple minutes did you yeah. guys yep. have the same experience yep yep uh, same with the marlboro where like these are supposed to be really iconic bosses and they were super easy you can but... just spam tempest against it yeah yeah it barely moves it's amazing actually <laughs> i'm just like why is this so easy is this like my victory lap for having gotten through the rest of these assholes you know mm-hmm. yeah um, but to say that pride and joy is easy yes the boss is easy the journey was one of the most grueling like, oh, without ridiculous. a doubt the summon gauntlet that you have to subject yourself ridiculous. to oh I, I i repeated that fight so many yeah. times it made me fucking viciously good at that game mm-hmm. like that you, you you have to be a perfectionist to get through all of that shit and manage your team so effectively I remember like getting like Bahamut to like three quarters health, and I was like, "Man, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, baby!" And then like he just summons Ifrit, and I'm just like, "Huh? Like, I gotta fight both?" <laughs> well, to be fair, you never fought Ifrit originally; he was just given to you, so you might I know. as well fight him here. Boom! He was just a gift, <laughs> and then he's like, "No, fuck you!" <laughs> and then he comes at you, slaps you around. Yeah, that, that's where I had to learn. We're like, oh, launching a summon in that fight, uh, especially Shiva against Ifrit, makes him nothing. Like, just kind of mm-hmm. slaps him around, and you're like, okay, I'm going to fight Bahamut again. But yeah, that was, that was some thrilling goddamn fights. Oh my goodness. A Super lot epic. of my strategy was just using Arcane Ward with Aerith, so you can, like, double cast spells. Yeah. And just absolutely yeeting all my strongest <laughs> spells yeah, at the enemy. Yeah, dude. I, I had to put Modify on Mana Wall, to get my whole team to be able to just even survive, uh, what is it, Mega Flare from Bahamut? Yeah. Oh, the Magnify where you put it and cast it on all of your party yeah, members. Yeah, yeah, because it's the only thing. When when he counts down to one, it's like it's inevitable that you're going to get crushed. Mm-hmm. So it's like just kind of kind of make some did, of your friends will live. <laughs> did you guys do it with Cloud, Tifa, and Aerith? That's what I did. Um, I I use Cloud, Barrett, and Aerith. Uh, yeah, that's what me. I did. But all mm-hmm. all the guides and like tips I see is like, no, use Tifa instead of Barrett. It's like, man, I used Barrett. Like his ranged right. attacks are so useful, and he's so like beefy with health and defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, no, having having Barrett as a cornerstone in my party was like the way that I had to go because I needed that that mm-hmm. range damage, dude. I saw the guides too saying crazy shit like use Barrett as a healer only, and I'm like, what the fuck? No, <laughs> and, and other <laughs> stuff like that. I think it's more about just finding like your own mm-hmm. play style that works against it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would never bench Tifa. Like I, she was the character I was always strongest with, mm-hmm. and I, I always bench Tifa. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. I know you do. I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, she's fun to play as, but like, there's just a lot of instances she would just get decked like first, and it was just a lot of me mm-hmm. wasting revive on her. Sure. Uh, whereas Barrett, like, he could take a few hits. He's, he's a almost strong boy. Built like a Sentinel tank class where he's just like soaking damage. Yeah. I put the luck up thing on him so he's always getting criticals and then he mm. does so much damage cuz cuz like each one of his bullets counts as one attack, right? Like every every attack he was doing was a critical hit and it just Oh shit. That's really Oh smart. man. I I, I wrecked even, with him. I didn't even think to do that. Yeah. I love I love being able to talk about this game and people are like, "Oh yeah, I had this material on the whole time mm-hmm. and it gave me this." And it's like what like having um immunity to fire in Bahamut's fight if you have elemental plus fire combined on mm-hmm. your link slot mm-hmm. i was just when i discovered that i was like oh my god what yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird like there aren't like super variable moments but like people choose to approach fights differently like when i was doing the rufus fight and i'm like oh i put him to sleep and you're like you could put him to sleep yeah i was like what and i'm like yeah you should put him to sleep you can poison I didn't him even know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah right? <laughs> this game's crazy with how much it lets you just like break it or gamify its systems it's but, amazing but that's also like how every final fantasy yeah. is built in it's terms of the nuances of, uh, of combat so i'll give it that like, yeah yeah that, that <laughs> like it pays respect to the legacy of yeah. the franchise like more than people think right so 
You, I uh, want to dismount this conversation in this great episode gross. that you've, you've been so gracious to host, co-host with us. <laughs> um, I know you're a huge Final Fantasy fan, and there's been a lot of conjecture lately in the community about uh, the topic of Best Girl. Um, and I kind of have a quick oh, lightning round no. of, of this or that in terms of Final Fantasy Best Girls. And I kind of just want your quick like yes. gut, gut reactions. Mm-hmm. I got seven of them, because, you know, Final Fantasy seven, seven seconds till the end. It's a theme here. Um, mm-hmm. So I kinda, I'm going to read them off and just... Tell us who you think, you know? So, uh, number one on here, <laughs> Tifa or Aerith? Tifa. Okay, okay. Tifa. Number two, Lightning or Sarah? Uh, Sarah. Oh, okay. Are they sisters? They're sisters. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. I yeah. was like, that's so familiar. And that's a Snow's love interest. And they, they, do anything with. they spell Sarah all crazy, right? Yeah, look at it. It's spelled super weird. Oh, I love that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> number three, Yuna or Riku? Probably Yuna. Mm. I, I agree with you. She's best girl for me. Number one best girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number four, Renoa or Squall? Wait, what? That's not a best girl. I said what I said. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. Squall? Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> uh, number five, Fang or Vanille? Ooh, Vanille. Yeah, she's good. She's good. Vanille. Final Fantasy thirteen characters. Okay. You didn't know, Kevin. I don't know. Yeah. You know I didn't play that. Or I played two hours of it. Uh, number six, Dagger or Garnet from Final Fantasy nine. It's the same person. <laughs> but they have different uh... attitudes. Dagger? That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, because Dagger says aren't. <laughs> <laughs> she says aren't, and she cuts her hair with a dagger, and it's pretty cool. And the final one She's on here, uh, Zaz or Zaz's hair chocobo? <laughs> oh. Because I love that probably the hardest one. <laughs> I totally butchered his name, I don't name know too. if I can choose. His probably hair. the hair chocobo. It's so yeah. cute. Qua. There you go. Quack. That was a good answer. <laughs> that's, that's a great answer, yeah. man. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. We need to... T- we, I have one point of conjection. Sure. Yes. No, no Jesse? Uh, From 7 Remake? Yeah, who would I pit her against, though, you know? I'd, I'd put her in a three-way against Tifa and Aerith. I would also like to be in a three-way with them. <laughs> <laughs> I would choose her over both. I'm okay. sorry. It has to be said. Honestly, the scene where she slaps um, Wedge's ass got me really hot. Up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck, you could do that to me. Push the oh, right button for this guy here. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I I'm in love with Aerith. I said it 15 mm-hmm. times on this episode already. Um, and how could you not? She's so endearing. She's endearing to mm-hmm. me, man. I need to see a sweet girl she's like that. Pie. She's got good. She's got good boots. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the chick from 15? I, Luna Freya. Oh yeah, the the girlfriend in the freezer. Right, like so you do a best girl versus it's just it's just her like in a coffin. Yeah. <laughs> oh my basically... god. I would say, um, I what's her name? Iris. Iris. From what? From fifteen. Uh, Gladiolus's sister, or like oh Cindy. What about that Cindy chick? Yeah. Cindy. Yeah. 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 Cindy's good. I like her. I like that take on like kind of like a female Sid. Yeah, dude. Mm-mm. Cindy or Dagger. For, for most down-ass chick in the franchise. Oh, Dagger always. Dagger always? Yeah, right, Dagger. Right, right, Final right. Fantasy IX is like one of my favorite Final Fantasies. So is it? Dagger. Yeah, you were playing that right now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. I, I, I might commit to eight. I do. Because that was like, that was the game that got me into the franchise. And that, I, I credit Final Fantasy VIII for being the game that got me into like just narrative games and story-based stuff too. So I, I want to revisit that. Sterling, do you find yourself wanting to go back to any of the older ones after playing seven? That's the thing. I really want to play the original seven, but I don't know the story past Midgar. So I I, I want to have it as like a new experience when future installments come out. But yeah. I have the the physical edition on Switch of seven and eight, so I might play eight. 
Yeah, no, eight, eight's good. Um, it, it's convoluted with some of its gameplay mechanics, but like it's it's got a mm-hmm. interesting wackadoo story for sure. Of like, actually, time travel and all that other shit, which is pretty cool. Yeah, seven. I need to go back and play for sure. Because actually, I've been having know. fun going back and seeing the differences. And honestly, since the later three quarters of that game are not so fresh in my mind, I'm like, okay, what yeah. do they do? Like, yeah. I remember going to so many places, but I first played that game like. In 2004, and it's been so long since I've gone back to all of it. So a hundred years ago. It's a hundred years ago. Jesus, you're so old. I've molted many skins since then. Yeah, <laughs> Sterling, you're way younger than both of us, aren't, aren't aren't you? Like 24? How old are you? 23. Jesus oh, wow. Christ! Wow. I'm sorry. I'm Don't be sorry. I'm I'm just sad for us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Sterling, once again, thank you for joining. This is Sterling Silver. You can check out his work on Twinfinite.net. Got some good articles, including I do recommend the, uh, was it the top 10 best boss fights in Final Fantasy mm-hmm. VII Remake? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? 10 of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10 of them. Cool. All 10 Because out of, actually, there's like fucking 40 of them. Yeah. <laughs> throughout the game. So many mini bosses <laughs> and cool moments. Yeah, for sure. So support his work. Is there any other like creative endeavors that you do or any way um, that we can maybe like support you like, you know, during these hard times? Like, you know... Go fund me or anything like that if, if, if you need some extra assistance. I mean, I can just give you guys my bank account if you want. To <laughs> there we go. There we go. We can just yeah. hotwire straight to them. Right there, yeah. here's, here's some gill. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you that uh, gill, man. Do you stream? For the, no, I only do the um, the charity stream in October. Okay. The 24-hour the live one. So, I mean, if anybody remembers, <laughs> who, uh, who's listening remembers by October, I do a 24-hour charity stream every year. And it is like that day is like Christmas for me. Like it is the That's best awesome. day of the year. I have so much fun doing it. And last year, or yeah, last year we raised over seven hundred bucks compared nice. to like the three hundred we did the year before. So we doubled our money. And nah, this so year we're aiming we're aiming for a thousand. Hell yeah! Yeah. What what channel do you do that on? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's just Twitch.tv/SterlingSilver. Nice. I literally only use it that that day of the year. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Good to hear, man. All right. Well, thank you for being on the episode. And viewers, thank you for listening to thy episode where we discuss video games and Jeff Keighley's holes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, seriously, Uh, like, thank you guys. I I always have a ton of fun coming on. And uh, I, I never have, like, this lengthy conversation with anybody else, like, we can never just narrow it down to like a good hour and a half. It's always so much no, more. Never. It's okay. You've listened to our backlog of episodes. We're the same exact way. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I think it's it's cool to have like an alternate ver- um, voice of somebody that's passionate about games and you know wants to come on and talk and likes our content and wants to share that kind of uh, positive mindset we like to spread. You know, as well as like goofing and just sharing our, our love and enthusiasm. And we would like to have more people on. It's just like logistically we haven't done it sooner. You guys should do a big like. Uh... Game of the year one at the end of the year have a bunch of people on. Oh shit, that would be fun. That would be cool. Like, like a do, round table. Yeah, do a fucking no. It's gonna mm. be a battle royale. Oh nice. <laughs> no, that was 2019. That was so 2019. Ah, oh, that's true. That's true. What is it now? It's uh just gotcha games on phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but guys, thank you for listening to the episode. We hope you have a wonderful time. You can check us out at Save Room Show on Twitter, and then me and Daniel stream sometimes. Uh, I do twitch.tv slash the Red Herb. Daniel does twitch.tv slash Dungeons and Daniels. He is redoing Final Fantasy X. Yeah, I, re- I on a whim. 
time I bought Final Fantasy X in the no big Japan no sale way. that's going on right now, and I got back into it. Played the first three hours, and I actually like didn't want to stop streaming because I love going back to that game so much. It's a, is it still your favorite one? <sighs> Fundamentally, yes, but Final Fantasy VII Remake is like it should be my number one just because uh, of how solid and a full, a full package it is. You know, fair enough. But fair enough. Uh, it's that kind of game you fun. play where it's like, it's like okay, this might not necessarily be my favorite mm-hmm. or the best, but like. I know it is like the best. Like if I'm like, let's say being analytical or yeah. reviewing it in my mind, it's like, okay, this is the best though. Even though this one is my personal favorite. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. I have that issue with like Majora's mask and Ocarina of time all, uh, all the time. Where, mm-hmm. like, Ocarina is my number one favorite game, but sometimes I'm like, but I like Majora's mask more. <laughs> Like it's exactly, just got funner exactly. tones and things that you do within it. So yeah. All right, guys. I got still got I gotta kill this episode. God, stop. Got tired about video games. All of you. God. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. How dare we? Cool. <laughs>